What's up, rockers? Welcome to another episode of the Talk Louder podcast, where we geek out on all things rock and roll. Hit that subscribe button on our YouTube channel. Leave us your likes and comments. You can also leave likes and comments on our Facebook page. Follow us on iTunes and Spotify, also Instagram, and of course, our website, talklouderpodcast.com. I'm Metal Dave, along with my co-host, Jason McMaster, and uh, today's guest has a pretty good gig. It's not a bad job if you can get it. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, he makes uh, he makes his money standing stage right to a legend every night, that legend being Alice Cooper, and our guest today being guitarist Ryan Roxy. Um, who's got a long and storied career that we we delve into today. Uh, we talk about Alice, of course. Ryan also spent some time with Slash. He was in a band called Candy. He was in a band called Electric Angels. He's good buddies with Gilby Clark, who is kind of joined at the hip with Gilby Clark. They've kind of uh, followed each other musically for years and years and years. Uh, good buddies. And uh, and he was also an uncredited uh, songwriter performer on a on a major hit song in the late '90s. I won't give it away. You'll have to stay tuned till the end of the episode to hear that little. Good idea. Let me just say, um, you know, because here on Talk Louder, we we shoot our intros after the interview, right? So there's all of these things in our buzzing in our head about this incredible interview we just did <clears throat> with our guests. Um, and I'm looking at the clock. We've, we, this is a long one. Yeah. This is long. He went, he went almost two and a half hours with us or something. Yeah. Or am I looking at the clock wrong? Is that right? No, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. Exactly. It might be the longest episode yet. Now the thing is to me, I'm still not bored and I'm still buzzing, right. just hanging with it. Cause it's just like, He's just a guy. And, you know, sometimes I meet people that talk more than I do. <laughs> and that's just weird to me. So, uh, Not very often, but sometimes. But, you know, um, getting along really, really good. Uh, Ryan saw one of my shows on the Monsters of Rock cruise that just happened uh, very recently. And Alice Cooper was the main act. Um, I got to see Alice play two times which is amazing for because I'm a huge fan. And Ryan came and saw me play, and he's such the nicest guy. And I, I met his wife and everything. Just incredibly wonderful people and super, super cool to be with us here on the podcast today. Um, the, the, uh, the ilk of his story is incredible. He, he didn't really like start from birth or anything. And, but it was fairly chronological, Dave. Wouldn't you agree that where we kind of started with him? Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a very good retrospect of his career. And like you were saying, uh, we spent about two and a half hours with him. But it's one of those episodes, and I've heard listeners tell me this, and I always love to hear it when we know that the episode was two hours, two and a half hours, or whatever. And people get back to me and they say, I can't believe two hours went by that quickly because it was so interesting and entertaining. And I think Ryan did all that today. Well, you know, it's long. You know, it's a long one. You forget about the clock and then you look down, and you're like, holy shit, we've been going two and a half hours. Or you can gauge it off of how many times you have to go piss. Yeah. And that for me, it was once today. So, well, that means you didn't like have the large coffee before we started. So, because um, I didn't have the large coffee and I'm still holding one back. So, yeah. that's good. The, uh, the, 
the um the great time that we had today with Ryan Roxy is really incredible. But before we get into it, I want to throw a giant shout out to Paul Unger, who is a, a friend of mine. He's a friend of our producer Jared's. Uh, he's was he's a huge Dangerous Toys fan and Pariah fan. He's a huge fan of 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 Jared's. And uh, Paul Unger is uh, partial the reason uh, that we have have Ryan on the show today because. Paul and Ryan are, are fairly close, and uh, Paul to this day still gets um, hook, hooks uh, hooks Ryan up with shows when he has a group that's doing some touring or doing a special one-off or something. He'll call Paul. Paul is in uh, Pennsylvania and uh, East Coast, you know, and will uh, you know he, he's he he uh, between Ohio and Pennsylvania. If you're going through there, you've probably and you've been to a major uh, rock show, and you were down on the floor in the front row. Even you've probably stood right next to this guy, Paul Unger. He's a great guy. Um, it's funny Ryan references him as like being the Moses of rock and roll. He yeah. <laughs> he went to the mountain, <laughs> talked to the burning bush, and came down with the tablets. And uh, that's just a great image of Paul Unger. So thank you, Paul, for everything you do for rock and roll and for uh, playing part in hooking us up with Ryan Roxy um, today here on the Talk Louder podcast. <laughs> But, you know, we all know you're not supposed to have to wear a helmet to a rock show, you know. <laughs> <laughs> what did I miss? That sounded like a good story. We've just been hanging out a little bit. Uh, right on. Roxy, Dave, Dave, Roxy, I don't know if you guys. What's happening, Dave? What's hey, going man, on? How, how are, are you? you? Thanks, to, thanks for being here. Good Appreciate to be it. on, man. Yeah. Good to be on. Hey, yeah. I'm just going to start. Can I just you start? start? Do you have yeah. any sort of uh, you have we, any sort of intro do, that you do? We do it in post. Do it all that. Okay. Yeah, we'll we do it later. in post. How do you know Paul Unger? Paul Unger, noisy fans of America, yes, sir. has probably been there with me since the very first uh, solo effort that I put out called Dad's Porno Mag. He's he, been there he, since then. I remember Dad's Porno Mag very well. He These had are before a, that. Yeah, he had a magazine, right? Yeah, um, he was there he with had, Electric Angels, maybe yeah, even Candy. Wow. Jesus. Wow. Paul is like, he's like Moses of rock and roll. Right, you're right. So, <laughs> so I have to say this, that the first time I heard Ryan Roxy in a sentence or just as a name was from Paul. And it was, you know, and he doesn't take it lightly. So if he's going to say somebody's name that he's pushing, uh, pulling, prodding, yep. trying to get people to listen, uh, he means that shit. So well, that's cool. I've heard the name Jason McMaster in that with that same uh, vitriol, if you will, or that same yep. sort of passion uh, from his mouth as well as. You know, I've also heard Bridget Dreyfus from yep. New York Loose. So that's that's his his current name that Correct. he has been uh, screaming from the mountaintops. Yeah, yeah and we, so we, we recently we, had her on as well. So I'm going to get uh, fucking Paul on here. I'm going to get Paul on here. Well, he is the, just, he was carrying the tablets down the yeah. mountain, dude. The yeah, rock and yeah. roll tablets. <laughs> You're right. And how did you meet Paul? How did that come about? Now that we know that he's just a, a, a rock and roll pusher. 
Well, when we were briefly talking and I'm trying to, in my mind, you know, all the snops are trying to connect and I'm like going, wait a second, was it Dad's Point of Mac? No, it was Electric Angels. Okay. And I believe that we played um, a place down and we were on a tour of Texas and we, he showed up at one of the gigs. I know he was an East Coast guy, but he's, for some reason, he was there at one of those uh, Texas shows. And we played lived, like a- He lived in San Antonio for a second, I think. And he lived in okay. Houston for a second. So Okay. It might've been, well, cause if it was in San Antonio, then it was at Sneakers. Mm-hmm. I don't know. You guys have no, you guys must remember Sneakers. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Live there. Been a few nights there, there. <laughs> and a whole lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> and but this this must have been been Houston because I remember at the same La Quinta N La Quinta N. Uh, I like the way you said it the first time. <laughs> yeah, La Quinta. Well, I think that's yeah. That's when you're from, when, when you're from California and the, and the East Coast, yeah. like La Quinta. I think I don't know. It sounded uh, authentic. Keep going. Only a couple of years later did we realize that it was such a class operation, La Quinta. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember that that was the sponsor. first time. I, damn. <laughs> um, La Quinta N was the meeting place. The first time I actually met up with Dimebag Daryl because yeah. he, he, they were in a new band called Pantera and they were staying at the same luxurious La Quinta. <laughs> it must've been a hot spot because <laughs> I mean, we had the same vans at that point, you know, the same touring vans with the U-Haul in the back. Um, the only thing that they had that I think surpassed us by far was they had video camp camcorders. Yeah. You know, it was before the age, folks, where where you had more directing power in your palm of your hand with a phone. This is back when you used to have like the bigger the camcorder, the better the picture and stuff. Yeah, and it was still shit picture. It's 80s. Can you give us a year that that might have been? That, that must have been 1989. Okay. It must have been 1989, right right after the album came out. And we were touring through there. And we played this. I want to say it was a steakhouse. It used to be a steakhouse, but then it became a club. And because so, I remember there were booths that looked like some sort of glorified that's, that's steakhouse. The backstage. That's that venue is called the backstage. I don't look for it anymore. I'm sure yeah. it's not there. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> wow. What city is this? I'm sorry. Houston. Houston. That must okay. have been Houston. And okay. and uh, and I met Paul there, and he, we've been like sort of. Um, helping each other ever since, you know, whenever he needs a band and a gig in the Pittsburgh area and that whole Northeastern area, I'll put something together, whether it's wow. the goon squad, even to this day, we, we did a couple gigs with, uh, with Paul and, and he sorts me out with like these amazing in stores where I go, you know what, I'm going to go to a record store and actually sign records in 2020. 19 or 20, you know, yeah. is this really going to happen? And he's like, yes, wow. it will happen. And he, he makes good stuff like that happen because he definitely carries this uh, torch of rock and roll still. Yeah, and, yes. you know, he's, he's part of that spirit, part of that kindred, part of that uh, sort of ne- necessary guy that you need to make yeah. this whole thing keep rolling. When he yeah. met you, did he tell you about a band called Noisy Mama? And that's what his Noisy Fans of America uh-huh. thing was kind of named after. Does that sound familiar to you? Noisy Mama. Now, Noisy what's Mama. the history behind Noisy Mama? 
uh, I, I don't really have enough intel, brain cells, et cetera, uh -huh. to recall Noisy Mama, but I th I want to say that he was kind of their their guy, like he's our guy, uh, yeah. and it was like early on, and it was you know I could definitely uh, see Noisy Mama and Dangerous Toys doing a show together. You know, oh yeah, oh with, yeah, with a couple. Uh, they were that I think they were that style and a couple of the guys have gone on to do a couple things and I believe the drummer works for School of Rock as I do. And I met him uh a few years ago when the School of Rock we were sponsored we were sort of hosting in a bunch of schools it's called Texas Fest. And all the other schools from Philly and wherever, and you know, as well as well as local, some of them were flying in to do some shows with our house band or something like that. It wasn't uh, Texas Fest because that would be all Texas anyway. It was, it was uh, national, and we were hosting a couple of bands from one from East Coast and one from California, I believe. And our house band sort of headlined the thing. That's what it was. And the drummer from Noisy Mama, I'm sitting there chatting with him, and, and he's like, wait, you were in Dangerous Toys? You know Paul Unger. And I'm like, <laughs> and he told me that he was in Noisy Mama, and I went, because the yeah. whole thing. I'm not sense. sure if the, if the acronym NFA came before or after DPM, because I was in Dad's Porno Mag, and our acronym right. was DPM. Okay. Um, always a lot of bands back in those days, three-word bands. You had to be three-word bands, and then it worked out for you. Mm -hmm. uh, or in our case, didn't work out for us. <laughs> but, but one of those bands that you're talking about that has that fucking vibe, has that spirit, is you're wearing it right now, Rose Tattoo. Yeah. Um, we, we played a little... Uh, we played a little gig down in Australia right before, you know, all hell broke loose and the world shut down. It was January 2020. We it, played a little place called Frankie's Pizza in uh, right in Sydney. Really cool vibe. Um, super seedy underground rock and yeah. roll. Just oozing rock and roll. True Aussie and, uh, pub. Sounds like an Aussie and, pub, like real. Well, yeah, but it's a club yeah. too, you know. So, so in okay. one half of the room, it has a a really nice. It, it it stays true to its name. It does have a pizza parlor, but then they have this dance floor where it's just '80s rock blaring. Then they have this little side stage that becomes like the main event, you know. And uh, we had angry, angry Andy uh, come up on stage and sing with us, and it was. Fucking cool as shit, man. I got, and oh. then there's this little uh, speakeasy back room where, like, you know, the guys in Airborne are hanging out, and sure. you know, just you're you're sort of straight ahead rock and rollers are are just kind of planted there, you know, and they're right oh, by yeah. the bar. So I had a nice conversation with Andy afterwards, and um, you know, from what I could, Ang angry kinda, angry Anderson. I think they call him yeah. Ango sometimes. Yes, angry Anderson. Yeah. That's yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Is it angry 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 Andy? I don't angry, know. What, angry, 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 angry Anderson. Anderson. Yeah. yeah, he wasn't. He wasn't angry so much though. He was quite. He was quite uh, <laughs> fucking cool. You know, he yeah. had a cool vibe, and and uh, it's a shame because we both just did this Monsters of Rock cruise. It's a shame that they he wasn't able to come over because they were scheduled they were slated yeah, to come I over it. i yeah. know it that was They've one been of my scheduled they they haven't been they haven't toured north america since 1982 when they were opening the aerosmith rock in a hard place tour and so they were scheduled to come to america 
uh, what, three or four years ago, Jason's band Broken Teeth had some opening slots and then COVID hit and they, it got postponed by about a year and COVID was still lingering. So it didn't happen again. And then the Monsters of Rock thing looked like people's chance to see them. And then they, I mean, they just had a streak of bad luck. <laughs> and all of their American fans have been waiting since 1982 for these guys to get back over here. And uh, it, it it just hasn't happened. So. so, so yeah, Broken Teeth was on like two or three of those shows just in the past few months that have like fallen off because of COVID. And I heard that it was... It had dwindled down to angry, just fronting American musicians. Now, two, one or two years ago, when it was supposed to come through, they had uh, Mark Evans. They, they had Mark Evans from ACDC on bass. The original gotcha, yeah. bass player from ACDC was gone. Was in. The he band. was back in the room. He was back in that side uh, oh speakeasy room. You were in there as well. with super Aussie rock royalty. Wow! Room. Wow! You were in there. With <laughs> hey, Kings. I don't want to. I don't want to backtrack, but I want to hear about the shenanigans with Pantera at the La Quinta. <laughs> You know what? It wasn't Pre so much shenanigans because I think they were off to play the Noro Dome or wherever, mm. you know, the bigger place, the bigger club at that point. And we were off oh, to yeah. play the steakhouse. You know, we were off to. And so <laughs> it was it was more of two two like a tugboat and, and, and the Titanic <laughs> passing through the night, not two ships. That's more like <laughs> a life raft, a life raft <laughs> and the Titanic going in opposite direction. Yeah. We were that gray Zodiac that you kind of, it, it you, cool. you were waving up and they were waving down. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. We were more of a Greenpeace operation, I believe, <laughs> you know, we really yeah. were. Well, but, <clears throat> well, those are great, and and it's great to be able to all these years later just to to say uh, that we are still uh, in in love with Paul Unger, the idea of Paul Unger, and to say that he's he's like a yeah, like, I, mean, I love it, how you were saying that he's a rock and roll Moses. It's really he sad. is. I mean, I I don't want to make this the Paul Unger roast and stuff like that, but maybe there's it's that's time for another episode where we just roast the shit out of him. Yeah, I and, love that. Uh, that's we, why I want to have him on here, and uh, <laughs> maybe we can go. Paul, this is your life. We can have a, a, a an episode like that. We um, know we are making his name. You know, we're inventing him right now because right now there's a lot of people, oh, noisy fans of America. Who yeah, is this what, guy? What He's an enigma. Well, Who is he? If they're a hardworking band they're gonna want somebody like moses on their yeah. on their <laughs> front of the ship you know yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, what was it called before uh, they were kind of like punk rock magazines started it all um fanzines like fanzines. fanzines yeah they were like he was like one of the original fanzines where it was kind of just like a couple eight and a half by 11 pieces of paper folded in half yeah, you know, and and sometimes not even stapled. I'm part you of know. that. I'm part of that movement. I was in this band called Watchtower a decade prior to Dangerous Toys. I was officially in the band like eight and a half years until I had to sign a piece of paper and bow out to go full time with the Toys, which had been very short, uh, a t very short tenor until then. But things were ramping quickly. And did I'm you run from, your own fanzine? I'm from that. I wrote for a couple of them. Yeah, uh, nice. I think one of my first meetings with Jason was at Kinko's. <laughs> he was print, printing <laughs> up flyers or printing up fanzines. Or... Yeah, the whole flyers and fanzine thing that uh, you nailed it with the punk rock thing. The punk 
guys knew yeah. exactly what to do. The original idea of a, of a fanzine put together by a band is to promote their own band, but all of their friends' bands too. And they would have this list of crash pad phone numbers and addresses in the back of this fanzine. And if you left, if you climbed in the van without that, you were having to rummage for places and couches to crash on, garages to, <laughs> yeah. to crash in. But yeah. those fanzines had all that shit in there. And it was... Well, Let's go down that rabbit hole where most podcasts w wouldn't even touch now because most people, when you said the word, you know, Dave, when you said Kinkos, they're like, what's a Kinkos? <laughs> well, folks, um, I didn't even think it, of that, it, but you're Kinkos, exactly right. it's, it's gone the way of blockbuster video and yeah. right around the same time, I think. But Kinkos used to be the place where every single band would print up their flyers and, right. and our drummer of Electric Angels, John Schubert, was the king of designing flyers. I don't know if you had a guy in your band that was good at designing stuff, but he became whether the he king. Was, whether he was any good or not, I don't know, but I literally had to <laughs> hand draw the logos. That's exactly what John would do. He would, he would, well, he'd copy and paste and stuff. He'd make sure. a lot of cool shit happen, but my, my biggest style. Well, you guys were sort of, you're in the mid states right and in and, and my band electric angels at that point was before we relocated to to new york we're doing all our stuff in california so obviously kinko's was kind of like the what would you say it would it, it was the instagram of 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 printing shops because it was like the, the mainstream but then there was some rogue sort of competition where we'd always try to get you could always get a couple more flyers maybe 500 more flyers for 20 more bucks or something like that and that on our closest competitor that we would always go to and not side with kinko's was sir speedy did you guys have sir uh, speedy there no i think it was, I don't remember it was sir a speedy print i think there was like a that. speedy quick or speedies or something or like you, pro or you quick, probably had some print. dude Maybe some dude that was like, you know, all methed out, that, you know, whose father owned a print shop or he wasn't even methed out. He just, you know, he just was around the fumes so much of the day that he'd say, oh, dude, I'll print up these for you. So sure. we'd take those offers, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You, I just call that using your resources. And all of this is pointing back to Paul and, and the whole uh, movement of the fanzine and promoting your favorite bands as well as your own band. I mean, uh, Nasty Savage out of Florida, they, they're the, an immediate, I, I go to them immediately in my mind because they had their own fanzine called Guillotine, ironically. And I don't know if you know about Nasty Savage, but they're very theatrical. Ryan, very, very... Uh, I know Nasty Suicide from Hanoi Rocks because I tried to copy his look probably for, you, for so many years. <laughs> a, a lot of people... That's a good know. look. Yeah. Izzy made a career out of it. Are you yeah, kidding me? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right? <laughs> anyway, so yeah, bands were... It was highly a, a popular idea to, to have these fanzines and sell them for a dollar, a dollar fifty. Ron Quintana, who named Metallica had a fanzine called Metal Mania. He had two names he was going to name his fanzine. One was Metallica and one was Metal Mania. And he asked Lars, hey, Lars, which one of these should I use for my fanzine? This is pre-Metallica. And Lars goes, oh, you should use Metal Mania. That's cool, man. So I can use well, Metallica. So I can use Metallica for my band. <laughs> and, he, well, and he never got paid for that, Ron. 
But. On my on my podcast, which I have, and I, you know, it's it's cool that both of our podcasts and one hand washes the other, both hands wash the feet. It's a little bit of a throwback from you know those days, like bands yeah. helping each other, podcasts helping each other. Yes. But just recently on my podcast, I had uh, Mick Wall, journalist, and he yeah. just told a story about how Kerrang got its name, and. Oh. Kerrang got its name because they used to like the, when the phone would ring, they'd always say something stupid, like you know, uh, bling bling, sing sing, and sure. then one they they used to always go Kerrang, you know, like or kaboom, and yeah. Kerrang just stuck. So wow. that so one day when they said we're gonna do this offshoot of this magazine, we're gonna make it a, a now a rock metal type of color magazine, which was kind of like a fanzine, but now it's done on quality paper. Yeah. with focusing on metal and in color. It was like the first fanzine in color, right? I'm, and they go, what are we going to no. name it? He goes, Kerrang! Why not? Because I always <laughs> thought it was some sort of Asian sort of, because, you know, it seemed that most of the bands were really popular in yeah. Japan, and you'd always see Kerrang! magazine coming out of Japan. Hanoi Rocks was huge in it as well. Mm -hmm. So, I mean... I always thought it was some sort of Japanese name or some I sort of Asian. I thought it was the sound of a guitar. Krang. Well, it's funny that you say you thought it was possibly, uh, you know, a magazine based out of Japan because out of Japan you had Burn. So <laughs> you've got a very Western name coming out of <laughs> Japan and then out of the UK you've got Krang. You know? yeah. in, in Burn nice. have like a bunch of U's to it, right? It was yeah, Burn. Two, a bunch of ands or a bunch, bunch of, of R's. Stuff. Yeah. Burn. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, Kerrang! <laughs> magazine uh, was what I was really looking. You'd see me in history class holding a history book, but inside of it, I would be turning a page and it would be like, oh, Diamond Head. Sweet. Oh, <laughs> yeah. who are these girls in Rock Goddess? <laughs> yeah. Oh, sweet. Praying Mantis. Oh, you know, I'd read up reading yeah. about all the new wave of British heavy metal bands, and that would have been in 1981. Yeah. There's some new school rock and roller right now listening to this going, what the fuck is Kinko's? What the fuck is Burn? What, is what the fuck is Kerrang? What, yeah. what are they speaking? Well, and there's a lot These of guys people, are old. There's a lot of people <laughs> our age who are going, whoa, I haven't even thought about that before. You know, or, or, yeah. or how, how long it was. God, that was a long time ago. I remember that, you know, so. Yeah. Um, let's let's move forward a little bit. I think sure. that, um, you know you were tell us about working with slash that was years later that was actually years after i had known him because you know we would always sort of cross in the dark seedy hallways of the cat house okay. and the cat house was pretty much mecca for yeah. rock and roll back in those days. Ricky Rackman and Tammy Down, they started something that was um, really, really cool. I yes, mean, it it, it, it it became an institution and nobody would have known it the first night we were there because the, the very I was there opening night and there must have been 50, maybe 50 people at best there. But some of those people, Slash was probably one of the first 50 or at least in the first couple of weeks to show up and he would keep showing up. Um, my band was there um, amongst that and that was right before Electric Angels Candy. So in that band Candy, I played with Gilby Clark mm. and Gilby Clark, who eventually uh, became uh, a member of Guns N' Roses. We all knew each other. <clears throat> 
but never had like a personal relationship. The, the, the most personal I got with Slash back in those days was him coming down because he, he, they lived with their manager right above the whiskey. The whole band was crashing there. They didn't maybe live there, but they crashed there and they would rehearse there or just chill there. I don't know. He would come down um, the street to the corner and which is right diagonal from uh, the Whiskey A Go Go. I don't even know if it's there anymore, but it was a gift shop called Oz. And I worked at Oz because ah. it was a block away from where I lived. And I lived, I was lucky enough to have, you know, with a bunch of roommates, uh, a, a, an apartment right in uh, the Hollywood area. But we all kind of worked at this place called Oz. And it was a complete shit show. No one should have been hired there, but we sold knickknacks and gifts and, you know, Hollywood, uh, actors would come in and they'd, you know, usually be a little bit inebriated and stuff like that. And they'd come in and buy gag gifts and jokes and stuff. And then they go about their business. So I remember slash coming in more than once to exchange a $50 bill or a hundred dollar bill just to get change and I knew exactly what it was for because <laughs> mm -hmm. drug dealers didn't break hundreds back in those days. <laughs> so this is, is candy after kill for thrills or before, you know, candy's right before, uh, the band, uh, when candy split up, Gilby went on to form kill for thrills and the remaining members of candy, which were me, John Schubert and Jonathan Daniel, who's now, a major uh, manager mogul, dude. He he manages Green Day, uh, uh, Fallout Boy, front of house, we, the, the front of house guy. The front of house guy for Green Day lives two blocks from me. Very cool. Well, yeah. Green Day's always sounded great live. They're one of my favorite yeah. live sounding bands. But you know, he manages all these huge bands now. But the three of us at that time, we went on and found a singer named Shane, and we formed Electric Angels, and then we got out of Los Angeles and went to New York and lived there. And that's where, uh, you know, if you bring back Paul Unger, that's where he came into the picture and really started promoting, um, what we were doing. And we wow. were able to tour a couple times across the U S always in a van, always with a U-Haul. I didn't ever see a tour bus until a bunch of years later, mm -hmm. but, uh, we toured with danger, danger, across wow. the States once and then hurricane across wow. the States once. So that was our, you know, and they were always having the big bus and they had the, the big party on, uh, you know, on before, during and after the show. So we were kind of like the tag along band. We we're like, Hey, you know, again, the Greenpeace project that yeah. <laughs> was, was riding alongside in the, in the Zodiac. Something, but, real, uh, something really cool about, you know, still, you know, fast forward to right now, these are guys that you run into pretty often, you know, Very on the so. road or yeah. And I think that that's fucking great. Well, on the boat, on the boat, it was kind of like a little bit of a high school reunion. I, I've yeah. never been to a high school reunion since I've graduated, but I, it's, it's what a cool high school reunion uh, would re reminded me of if, if I was to actually go to one, because it was like a rock and roll high school reunion. Yeah, There's all these right. bands that you've toured with. Um, the guys in the choir boys, we were, you know, again, electric angels was pretty much, we were the cheap trick in the early days. We were the cheap trick 
of those types of bands. We opened up for everybody, right? I remember, you know, as a kid, Cheap Trick's my number one band, right? They've always opened up for the best. They've always yes. supported the best bands in the world. It doesn't matter yes. if it's Kiss or if it's ACDC or if it's Van Halen. They've always been on that tour. That's kind of the way we were. And when I just saw Griff from Electric A, uh, from London Choir Boys, we reminisced a little bit about how that was their first North American tour. We were the support act for that. So mm, wow. it was cool, you know. Yeah, that's but, great. but so what ends up happening is I, I, I end up coming back to Los, An or Los Angeles after the demise of Electric Angels, after I, you know, stick my ATM card in the, uh, in New York, I stick it into the machine and it, it says I can't withdraw any money and $20 is the minimum you can withdraw. Right. And it's, you, you're not allowed to draw any money out. I'm like, I have less than $20 in my account. It's time for me to get the fuck out of New York, right. you know, because I, I had come there with very little next to nothing, but we had gotten a record deal. We'd gotten a publishing deal. We had done all the things that before, you know, in today's terms would actually seem like a chunk of money because there is no money in record sales these days, but all that money had gone to rent. It had gone to, you know, whatever, the lifestyle of New York does cost money. And um, then by the time I had zero money, I said, you know what? I'm going to go back to LA and just play with as many people as I possibly can. Cause I never, I never did. I was always a one guy band when I was playing in Los Angeles. That's how electric angels candy stayed together for so long. But my buddy Gilby came back into the picture and this was after right Still in Guns N' Roses, but he's also doing his own solo album. Mm -hmm. He says, Rox, do you want to um, come with me while I do my solo tour? I said, by all means. And he was the first, that was the first time I'd ever been on a tour bus. The first time I'd ever been able to uh, play a, a big venue. You know, we, we, we supported Aerosmith in South America, which was wow. crazy, crazy, crazy stuff. And again, knowing the guys in Guns N' Roses but not being real close to them. I still didn't have close, close contact. It wasn't until after I'm in Alice Cooper and Slash comes up to guest with us that we really hit it off because it's like once he got on stage and once we started playing together, we're like, oh shit, we kind of play well together. You know, this is a, this is a cool vibe. I'm playing stuff that's complimenting what he's doing and vice versa. We, it was good. It was a good rip. It was a good sort of vibe. And that wouldn't have happened unless Alice Cooper hmm. invited slash up and, you know, slash kept coming up. We'd show up in different cities. And finally we just started talking on our own and um, yeah, a lot of conversations at two or three o'clock in the morning saying like, let's, let's, let's do something. Let's take this to the next level. Let's uh, let's write some stuff together. Cool. Yeah. So, and this was before a singer, and uh, he already had Johnny Grapark, who's a bass player, great bass player, and uh, just bef and he had Matt Log as a drummer. So we had we had a good nucleus, a good rhythm section. We just had to find that singer, and we went through a lot went through a lot of uh, auditions, a lot of great tapes. I mean, what were you doing back in those days, Jason? Did you ever get the call for Slash at Snake Pit? Because your voice seems perfect for that especially for the stuff we were writing. Yeah. You know? I think I, it was like right around 90, what was it? 95, 90. 
Yeah, I was still doing. I was just in the toys. Yeah, um, I'm gonna. I I've got what may be a very unpopular opinion here, but I'm gonna I'm gonna say it anyway. I remember the uh, the first Slash record. I thought Eric Dover was was a great uh, mm-hmm. vocalist and it was a great fit for that band. And then the second album with Rod Jackson. I was kind of surprised that that Slash had him join the band because I was thinking, you know, Slash has been in a band with Axl Rose. He was just in a band with Eric Dover. I know his influences. He likes Steven Tyler, that sort of singer. Jason would have been a good fit, like you're saying, Ryan. And so I kind of associate Slash with these these guys with very kind of dynamic ranges and kind of a screech to their voice and that sort of thing. And I didn't hear any of that in Rod. And so I'm, I much preferred the first album, no offense, Ryan, as far as no from, from a vocal standpoint, I preferred the first album over the second album. And I always found it odd that Slash hired Rod because I didn't think Rod had nearly the pipes of the singers that Slash oh, had man. played with. Well, I, 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 I have to vehemently disagree, but okay. only because I, I've been in the, I've been in that room and, and that first time that Rod came, you know, he literally walked from Santa Monica, uh, to Rodeo drive. That's where, uh, or no, it wasn't Rodeo drive, but it was Roxbury drive. There you go. That was where Slash's sort of, uh, mansion was. And that's where we practiced. That's where snake snake pit, uh, studios was. He literally walked there because he couldn't afford a taxi cab and he walked in and just fucking blew the roof off. I mean, his voice to me is one of the most powerful voices to this day. And here's the thing. Eric Dover is one of my favorite front guys and favorite vocalists and favorite guys and and guitarists and musicians that I've ever played with. So my thing is like, I get where Eric Dover, Eric Dover was put in an impossible situation. He had to write lyrics and sing an album that was already recorded. Basically the only thing it was that nothing uh, other than the mastering Everything was done. So yeah. he had to come in to an album that was basically mixed, write lyrics and record all these in a really finite amount of time. So I thought he did such a great job on that album. But wow. when I listened to it, knowing that story, I can hear where the songs where he had to be put in that position. Whereas with Snake Pit, and maybe it's because I was in that position and we made that album over a, a course of you know, literally we recorded the album three times. So we recorded it once in, you know, uh, snake pit studios on demo, uh, ADAP machines. That was, you know, another thing that has gone the way of Kinko's, I think, you know, ADAP machines. And then next time we recorded it, like a little bit more professional, bringing another producer in. We had Jim Mitchell who was engineering, producing it. Then Jack Douglas came in. Then we recorded a third time through um at uh sunset sound so we went to the big boys and mm-hmm. you know jack douglas came in with all the big guns jim mitchell was producing with all this we all had a guitar world bass world so we from those from day one to the time that album came out those songs had changed and developed but always with the the five of us yeah you know it was definitely a um and well actually six because teddy zigzag 
was a big part of that too. Uh, he was always around us during that time. And I, I just feel that they developed those songs over the course of time. So in some ways, <laughs> I tell people, there's almost too much music for the average ear to contain because everybody's like playing. I mean, yeah. there's, it's like there's, you know, sometimes space is really cool in an album. There's not a lot of space on that album. There's <laughs> like, and, and, and Slash was real honest with me. I mean, you know, God bless him for being honest. He said, Roxy, everything that comes out of the left speaker is going to be you. And everything that comes out of the right speaker is going to be me. But the only thing he left out is all the overdubs and all, and all the little bells and whistles would also be Slash. So there's guitar, you know, coming in everywhere, here, there, everywhere. But the, if you look, the meat of the album it's a very uh, early ACDC type of approach left, you know, Angus Malcolm sort of, yeah. you know, you wanted those two guitars to work off each other. That's how I ended up changing amp companies for that period of time because I was playing Marshalls before that always had, but then I ended up switching to red bear amps and then moving on to, uh, Sun Model T amps at that point because we were just looking for a different type of, you know, Jim Mitchell, the the engineer, he engineered uh, what it was it Appetite for Destruction. You can't get a better sounding album than that, right? Yeah, right. And and the Illusion albums. So he knew how to dial up Slash's tone and he knew how to dial up my tone. He just wanted to make my tone a little bit different. So mm -hmm. yeah, we we went through some changes that. But I mean, look, I respect your opinion because honestly, I do think that the ain't um, it's five o'clock somewhere is a great album as well. And yeah. Yeah. I, I've played a lot of those songs too with Eric years later in this band that we have called lost angels. Cause you know, he does such a great job of singing those. Yeah. And, and I know a lot of my friends disagree with me wholeheartedly. They, they, you know, they, they love the ain't, uh, ain't life grand record and, uh, and, and Rod is a singer and uh, I, I like the music on, I, I love what you just told me. This is one of the reasons I enjoy having the podcast, because now I'm going to have to listen to it with new ears, because now I know the story behind it. And I find it very interesting what you say about how the first one was kind of a, a wham, bam kind of thing, especially by the time Eric arrived to, to do the vocals and how the second album was a much more collaborative thing, almost to the point of, of being uh, detrimental, you know? So uh, I, I'll, I'll have well, to go back. Almost and overdone. Yeah, yeah. I, I get that. But yeah. here's the thing. I remember being on tour with Gilby Clark solo band and having slash and his manager at the time, Tom Moore, uh, sending FedExing Gilby parts so that he could record them and, and, and listen. And that was way before Eric Dover was in the picture. Cause at that point, Eric Dover's in jellyfish, right? You know, yeah. one of the best power pop bands of, of our time, mm -hmm. but he's, he's jamming doing five part harmonies in jellyfish and, um, and what was it jellyfish at that point or was it imperial drag might have been imperial it was all drag. might have been imperial drag cuz it was later yeah. right well which is some you know which is Roger Manning from uh from jellyfish anyway so hmm. you know that's that's the funny thing about those two guys too the the two main guys in jellyfish they went to my rival high school where i grew up in northern california they went to the high school that was like you know a little bit more downtown 
suburbia, whereas we were like up in the foothills. I went to Foothill High. They went to Amador. But I didn't really know those guys until Belly Button came out. And then when Belly Button came out, I said, fucking game over. What a fucking great record. There was no <laughs> rock and roller. I don't care how heavy you liked your music that didn't appreciate Belly Button Jellyfish record. Yeah. And then when Imperial Drag came out, that's a record that I could really sort of like wrap my head around. And because I got it, it was like all of the 70s glam done up with uh, this uh, sort of over the top androgyny David Bowie meets the sweet kind of a thing and i was all about that there you go with eric that's eric dover in a nutshell dude dude, are are you a boy or a girl i that it's a timeless song it is so groovy and uh, it's a little t-rex mark bowen in it reminds Mm -hmm. me alice a little bit you know Ah, be my lover a little bit or you know just the era is it my body swaggery yeah yeah yeah, the swaggery kind of nasty you know i love that I wanted, so glad I wanted you guys to, bring up those songs. Yeah, I, man. I wanted I, to I, ask we, a couple. Oh, oh, go ahead, Ryan. Yeah, you go ahead, Dad. I, go I ahead. wanted to ask a couple more questions related to Slash, and then and then I'll leave it alone. Uh, the, the 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 story has it that you um, uh, were recommended to. Oh, I'm sorry. This this might be Alice. So uh, was it was it Gilby that recommended you to Alice Cooper? And and there was some mysterious guy named. Bob, Bob, oh, here here's. <laughs> Here's the slash connection. So at least the way I understand it, there's some mysterious guy named Bobby from Mates. And I think shady, shady, shady shady character, dude. And I think, I think Mates is possibly, there's a connection to slash. Oh dude, Mates. Yeah. Mates has a connection to every great rock and roll band coming out of Los Angeles. For listeners, for listeners, Mates is a rehearsal rehearsal studio. Right. Okay. So, so what I'm really driving at here is tell me about this shady guy, Bobby. What's, what's his story? <laughs> well, I mean, it's almost too shady to talk about what he's into just, and just stuff. Be nice. Just give us a comic book. It's the PG version, PG 13. Yeah. Okay. Version. So, Bobby basically is connected with every single band in um, Los Angeles. And, and it's funny because the rehearsal studio mates is in the 818, all right? And for those of you that, there's a couple different area codes in Los Angeles, but the 818 is kind of like the valley. So if you live in Hollywood, you have to drive to get out there. But getting into to the mates, it was worth it because it sounded better for some reason. It had a vibe more than any other uh, rehearsal studio in Los Angeles. Of course, there's SIR studios and there's some, there's some big ones now in Hollywood, of course, and there have been over the years, but you know, mates is kind of like the, it's, it's, what would you say is it's, it's the, it's the Mecca of rehearsal rooms because it just has that vibe. Um, I've had so many cool experiences there. We recorded an album on that property, we were, the Alice Cooper album "Eyes of Alice Cooper" was actually recorded on the Mates property because um, there was a, a studio that they they built there. Um, the producer of "Appetite for Destruction" um, had it. What was God? Now Mike, I'm going to Mike Clink. Mike Mike Clink. Yes, yeah. thank you. For, thank you for bailing me out on that one. No Mike, love you. But you had the best studio there, and we recorded this album with Mud Rock. 
And I don't know if you know the producer Mudrock, who's an amazing producer. He produced uh, Avenged Sevenfold, and he's okay. gone on to do amazing stuff. But the eyes of Alice Cooper, all on that property. So anyway, Nate's Bobby is connected to every band. So whenever there'd be something happening, like, hey, there's a band looking for a guitar player, nine times out of 10, he'd make the connection. He'd make the call. Okay. Well, in this case, me getting into Alice Cooper... Because Guns N' Roses cut their teeth in Mates rehearsal, right? And we all went there to rehearse beforehand. Um, the drummer of the, my solo band, uh, Dad's Porno Mag, is Mike Fasano, who now plays in Tiger Army. But Mike Fasano is another sort of, you know, legendary figure. and He's good friends with Bobby. So anyway, what ends up happening is Alice wants to go out and tour again. He wants to do a one year tour. That's all he's, we've gotten, he's gotten the contract. We, he, he's gotten the contract to uh, do a co-headline bill with the Scorpions, 1996. Wow. So that's all that, that, that he knows is that, look, I don't know if I'm going to stay out here. I don't know if I'm going to retire. I just want to go out and form a band, do this tour and see how things feel. So he holds auditions, but in the very beginning, he was interested in Gilby and myself to, to, to have the gig. Us, because he had heard about it. Someone, probably Bobby, had told their management and said, hey, maybe you check out Gilby and Ryan, man. Maybe they'd be cool. So <laughs> I like the voice you're using. Well, it's 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 not that far off from what okay. he's like. You know, <laughs> yeah. I just don't have as big yeah. a teeth to get that sort of timbre of his voice. But I um, he's got big teeth too. Oh, That's another unfolding. Right. It's like an onion. He's like an onion, Bobby. <laughs> and we're, we're unpeeling the layers. Big bad wolf or jaws from 007. <laughs> <laughs> he is like jaws. <laughs> but his teeth oh, are white. They're big guy. and white, dude. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> like a horse, you know, like, like, oh. like you only just want to give him a, uh, like a, a cube of sugar when you see him. But anyway, so, he goes, Gilby said, dude, I can't do this because I'm still got obligations with my solo stuff, but Roxy, you should go do it. This is, this is going to be good for you. Go and get the gig. Wow. And I said, okay, fucking thanks Gilby. So Gil, Gilby gives, gives me the sort of the blessing, you know, sort of like the Godfather, you go get the gig. You guys are bros and he, and he wants, yeah. Yeah. Well, cause he's, he's had this. He knows what a lucky break is, what a, you know, what a, what a break is. I mean, imagine the break that he got when he got sure. the call saying, Hey, you know, you want to play, uh, you know, you want to play in a band? I want to play in my band. We're playing uh Boston garden, you know, next week, here's yeah. 40 songs, learn them. And that's exactly what happened. Cause I was living in New York at that time. And I got a phone call from him. He says, you want to come and see me play? And I go, yeah. He goes, where are you playing? Boston Garden. We're playing New. We're playing Madison Square Garden tomorrow. I'll say I'll be there. Are you kidding me? Yep. So that was amazing. And that was before Boston. Boston Garden has gone by way of the Kinkos too. Really, no more parquet floor. Nothing. Bar done? Boston Gardens. Yeah, that's like a. They. That's just so you know, like some like like Apple owns that or something. Oh right. It's yeah. yeah it's probably like change name. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> Funny, there could have been a Kinko's stadium at one point. AOL <laughs> arena, you know. So, <laughs> so Shady Bobby basically is sort of this go-to yellow page. Okay. Of so, yeah, so, so Shady Bobby, because it's his recording, it's yeah. his rehearsal studio, he owns it. He's kind of like the puppet master. And so many cool bands. And so he gets, I don't know if he got all these guys down there, but the Alice audition happens. Where do you think the Alice audition happens? Happens at Made Studios. Bob Daisley on bass, Eric Singer on guitar, and a ton of fucking guitar players like going in and out of uh, Studio B. Studio sorry, A was sorry, already. You said Eric Singer on guitar. It's on drums. Drums. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. Eric Singer sorry. on drums. You're in, you're in mid Bob Daisley now. on bass guitar Perfect. and a shitload of guitar players. What a band. So, so I'm, I'm, but it's only the two of them and it's just one guitar player at a time. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So the coolest thing about the audition is that Alice Cooper's there. He's wow. not like, you know, some other singers that I know or singer in particular that would videotape and have it messengered up to his, you know, mountaintop palatial place. No, he's there at the gig. Like he wants to see who his next guys are going to be. He's hanging out so, a little bit. Yeah. Mm hmm. And catching a vibe. He's on the couch. He's not singing the songs, no. but he's watching us interact. He's watching us play. And I'm in the office next to the, to the room where all the auditions are happening. And I'm hearing every single one of these guys, fucking shredders, great guitar players, you know, one after another go in and they keep fucking up the pre-chorus to Poison. Uh -oh. So, you know, that song Poison, Desmond Child. For whatever reason, he's got that magic touch of writing these modulating fucking choruses. In this case, it was a modulating pre-chorus. A lot of chord changes. If you if you get off on that, you might as well just wait for it to come around again because it's it's hard to catch up. And I'm hearing all these guitar players shred and do amazing on all the other stuff, but at that one pre-chorus, eh, mistakes here and there. Maybe missed a chord. Well. I made an audible call at that point saying, dude, don't worry about the shredding stuff. They, they're going to, they're going to pick red beach anyway. Cause he just played amazing at the audition. He sounded great. They're probably, he's probably a rap, but you know what? They're going to need another guy to hold down the fort. Some guy to hold down the foundation, some guy to be, you know, kind of the concrete guy. If you can be that guy. And then when it comes your turn for the, the solo that, only uses one note, <laughs> 18, you can, yeah. you can do that. You can do that. And, and, and with all your bravado and all your attitude, of course. So I just I'm said, sorry, this is a conversation that you're having internally yeah. in my head, in my head before, right before the audition. Yeah. Right. So, this so you're psych, you're psych down instead of psych out. No, I'm, sure. I'm psyching myself just yeah. like, yeah, I, I, I'm in my own head, which, you know, I look out of the corner of my eye and Bobby's just sitting there, you know, gnawing on a, you know, a cup of coffee and he's got something, he's just looking at me in the corner of his eye, but I block Bobby out. <laughs> I know he's supporting it's me, but visual. he has a weird way of showing it because yeah, yeah. he's so shady. Right. So anyway, I go into the room, walk in. And of course I'm making it more dramatic than it fucking actually is. I love it. But, hey, fucking, going, yeah. but it, hey, it was, it was. It was one of those life-changing moments. And I kind of knew it. Like, deep down, I kind of knew it. But on the top, I'm kind of like, well, hey, man, I'm going to just be what I, you know, be who I am. 
I have a flashy guitar. Maybe Alice likes the the vibe. I'm I'm, you know, I'll look down, but I'll but I'll still be animated. I'll be rock and roll the way I you know the way I've always studied other rock videos and stuff like that. Be that guy. Be that fucking rock guy. So we do uh, billion dollar babies. Eighteen. Then it comes time for the big poison, and fucking that day. Nailed that pre-course. Every I nailed all three fucking pre-courses. And um, when I was walking out of the room, Alice and I, you know, our eyes met. Mm-hmm. And I kind of knew, you know, I knew that I had a chance. I knew I had a shot at it. And uh, a day later, I got the phone call. Alice likes you. Uh, we'll see you down in Mexico. And that was our first gig was Cabo San Lucas, Cabo Wabo, Van, you know, Van Halen, uh, yeah, Sammy. Sammy Hagar's club. Yeah. And, uh, that was again, one of the first times that, uh, ever played on stage with Alice. I hadn't played on stage with him up until that point. First time we're playing on stage, it's like recording an album, which eventually becomes fistful of Alice and we're, uh, recording it for VH1. And then wow. of course that was the same day that slash first came up as a guest appearance. And, here's funny of course slash wants to play only women bleed right the easiest easiest of alice cooper songs right well the band has a live version that we had all learned of only women bleed which we were going to be doing for the you know tour yeah yeah but there's an album version a Bob Ezrin sort of, you know, yeah. the good, the cool shit. Yeah. It has all the extra melodic notes and this and that and that. Well, Slash learns that version. So us on the, you know, we're like, well, you learn the album version? So literally from sound check to the show, we had to uh, learn the album version. And that's what you hear on, uh, wow. on the Fistful of Alice album. So, wow. I'm, I mean, I hope that song made it. Maybe it didn't. I know that Lost in America made it. But um, and and Slash is playing on that as well. But yeah, we we cram for it. And to this day, I'm it's one of the coolest decisions I think he ever made because I love playing those Alice versions of the songs that that have all that cool Bob Ezrin production in them. You know, all the melodic stuff, all the string stuff. So, you know, when we you were there at the at the show, uh, Jason, when you when we played us. Oh shit. We didn't do Steven. That's no, right. We did. Do, we we did a scale do down non yeah. theatrical. Damn yeah, you! I, I I I know the set list quite well, and I know that I would have known if Steven would have been played. You you played Escape the second night. You played Brown Sugar the first night. And oh, yeah. I believe everything oh, yeah. else was the same. That's right. Well, did we play? Well, no, because we actually played the entire version of uh, Feed My Frankenstein the second Oh, that's night. right. Well, <laughs> that was, uh, that was, uh, Dave doesn't know this. No, no one's really asked me. Sorry uh, about that snafu, bro. <laughs> no, that's all right. So Dave, I'll, I'll, I'll see if I get it right, Ryan. You can, yeah. I don't, and then you can tell me your version. Why, <laughs> what the fuck was going through your head when you're on stage playing here? here uh, let me, I don't want to get, I don't want to release the Kraken yet. So Dave, imagine yourself in the audience and you hear the intro tape, and it's the dog ding. You know, it's the guy talking. Welcome. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that kind of shit. I've heard it a few times. Welcome to Alice's nightmare. You know, kind of shit. And he's going, and he's going, and he's going, and it's awesome, and it's awesome. And then there's just there's this whole thing, and 
And then the first note of Feed My Frankenstein, the band comes out and, and you, this is what you hear, Dave. <laughs> what the hell happened? <laughs> the audience I had no scary. idea that it was that soft. Yeah, the, yeah, you can hear. Yeah, you can hear Glenn's drums, but they're in acoustically. A, yeah, you hear his drums we're... acoustically. Not a single oh, microphone. Yeah. Not uh, a single microphone is on. But PA blew up but, basically. No, no, no. Oh, well, that's how, That's your version of the story. Yeah, that's from the, the audience. Yeah, we have in ears in. And you're you know, we have our in ears in, 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 yeah. And and being that the band is, you know, it's it's all, you know, everything now is through in ears. Our shit sounds great. Yeah. Our mix is fucking pumping. So Dave, we don't hear their amps. Right. There's no right. amplifiers blasting. Right. You know, so you rah, sound great rah, to yourself. Yeah. Oh, and we don't see the audience reacting. So yeah. we're kind of looking around like this fucking crowd has an attitude. Are we going to have to like really work <laughs> to win them over? Well, there was a lot of people cheering and shit. And the people that were cheering were, were actually like, I, to myself, I'm going, Surely the people cheering don't realize that this is this is not correct. They were being nice. They were being <laughs> yeah. very. You know what? An Alice Cooper fan. They were. They give us a lot. They and we were asking for more. Yeah. So that what what really happened is imagine when that that intro tape's going on, you know, and it, every excitement's building. The band starts as soon as those drums hit and the curtain rate reached the top. It pulled the main cord from the power amps, it yanked it out of the PA. It literally ripped oh, the cord from the yeah. power amps from the speakers. So there was zero friggin' sound coming from the mains. But that's why our monitors were all working. So Monsters miraculously. Of Rock, Monsters of Rock Cruise fans, you heard it here first. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what happened. That's what, If you were wondering what the it's, hell it's, happened it's, it's, on night one of the Alice Cooper show on Monsters of Rock Cruise 2022, that's what it, happened. And, and you know what? It all, I think it all goes down to ego, too, because I didn't see any other band use the fucking curtain. <laughs> No. No, we were like the headliner, so we're gonna use the curtain. Why not? But guess what? Every That'll once in a while, you. right? Yeah, came's back to bite us in the ass. So anyway, hats off to the crew and to the the MORC guys that were you know because they actually found another cable because this one had gotten ripped out and was fucking stripped or whatever. Cause it's those oh, things that no. you know, three prong things. So they found a spare cable. Oh it was only God. about, you know, it was only about eight to 10 minutes. I think it was maybe it wasn't maybe very less. long. It wasn't well, very maybe long. even less. Well, it felt like fucking 18 hours <laughs> because of you know, course. we were, we were jamming and, and, and we were kind of going, this is weird. People aren't really getting into this yeah. until the second first where people start going, we can't hear you. Yeah. We can't. And, and, and then like almost split second after that, our, our uh, monitor guy, Ashton goes, PA's out, get off stage. PA's out. <laughs> it was yeah, like, in, in your walkie oh, really? talkie. So you heard thanks that for, in your ears. He's talking. We hear it through our ears. Yeah, and wow. we're like, thanks for telling us now. So, but, so then we kind of, you know, scatter like, you know, little rats and then to leave and everyone's going, they're, they're being charitable. They want a rock yeah. show. They know something's yeah. going to happen. Yeah. And we just came back, but we didn't finish. Because uh, Alice goes, you know what? We I go to Alice. What do you want to do? You want to start uh, Feed My Frankenstein over again? He goes, screw it. No, nice guy. 
So yeah. we go right into the second song, which is Norris and Nice played, Guy. You, you played Frankenstein just later in the set, didn't you? No, we didn't. We never oh, did that play, night. We you did didn't not play Frankenstein at all. On no. It, oh, you didn't go back. He at all. wanted. He actually said to us, but we didn't really get it. He like actually looked at us after, uh, right before Brown Sugar. He goes, "You guys want to do Frankenstein?" And we were like, "All right, Brown Sugar," because you know the whole thing about doing Brown Sugar is we're going to play a song that even the Rolling Stones don't Correctly. play. Yeah. You know, yeah. yeah. So. I don't know. I, I what it ended up being because we were kind of all weirded out after the show, a little bit like, well, you know, that's that's a little bit like a lot of a lot of hype, and then look what happens. You know, we were kind of feeling a little bit bad. That's weird. At least we have tomorrow to try and make up for that. But then we go out and they walk. That we, you know, because we did play angry that night. Maybe yeah. a little bit more angry than we okay. would. Nor if I saw, you know, when Alice broke his cane, he really fucking broke it. But yeah. when, I, when I was walking around the bus after, or walking around the boat after that, um, that show, people were like, dude, really love the show. Thanks, man. I really appreciate it. You, so I you, was like. Yeah, you guys. Uh, no, no. Let me, let me, as a fan, let me jump in here and get super, super fanboy for a second. <laughs> Destroyed on the boat. I mean, Thank I've you. seen Alice a bunch of times. I've seen this current version of Alice yep. four or five times now, yep. four times. The first time you and I actually got to kind of chat face-to-face -face was about three or four years ago in Austin at the Moody Theater. Do you remember that? That's true. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we were we were both there. But, yep. yeah, dude, you guys crush. The – the uh, the what's going through your head thing about feeding my Frankenstein and the opening song and the story about the PA cable being ripped out is just <laughs> classic lore. Now that's yeah, legendary yeah, yeah, lore yeah. in the the book. It's Spinal Tap. It's it's it's, yeah. it's Spinal Boat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you will, Spinal yeah. Boat. Yeah. <laughs> this is so, this is great because this kind of this segues into a question that I had on my. Go ahead, Dave. Here. It's cool. It's and, cool. It's uh, it's it's very similar to you know same subject. I I got to interview Alice a few years ago, uh, preceding one of those shows that came through Austin. I'm sorry, Ryan. Dave is a journalist. Dave has interviewed Eddie Van Halen and Ozzy Osbourne oh. and Lemmy and everyone. So carry yeah. on, Dave. I know one person he hasn't. Rod Jackson. Because yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> he would have oh, walked man. away with a different perspective. He would have oh, really, because like, Rod is pretty much one well, of the guys, loudest voices. Rod, he doesn't. Rod, Rod Jackson. Okay, yeah. Let me get you a date on the. Oh, you don't want to talk to Dave. Um, <laughs> he would talk to you. He's oh, yeah, the yeah, sweetest yeah, human being. Badass. He's a yeah, very badass. lovely human oh, being. Man, I'm not going to live that down. <laughs> oh, yeah, that, that's that, that'll right. teach me. You know, that'll teach me. No, no, um, no, not at all. So, so uh, I got to interview Alice uh, a few years ago, and one of my questions to him, and it's the same question to you now, uh, when you're putting on a production that, with that many moving parts, uh, there's got to be all kinds of potential for mishaps and miscues, and you just told us a great one about the Monsters of Rock cruise, but uh, what's been the biggest mishap you've had on stage with Alice considering all the props and the moving parts and you know, there's a lot going on. You got to watch where yeah. you are. Yeah. I mean, I, the mishap didn't happen to me, but um, our guitarist, Tommy Hendrickson got stabbed. Oh, you know, I mean, he literally got impaled by, by, by one of the swords, you know, cause Alice has these, uh, he has these knives and swords that for some reason think, 
only break balloons. They don't have anything to do with <laughs> actually, you know, maybe penetrating other people's skin or, you know, no, but he's, he's constantly, so we know, you know, when school's out happens and the balloons start going out, just find a safe space on stage where, you know, if he decides to lunge uh, the, the sword, you're not going to be on the other end of it. And in this case, uh, Tommy was on the other end of it, but he had a leather jacket and it pierced the leather jacket, it went through the leather jacket and it gave him like a really big bruise on the inside of his, on his chest. But if he didn't have the leather jacket, we're talking like, well, you know, like a, yeah. I'm not but a professional, so, I'm no fencer, but. <laughs> yeah, so Alice's answer to me when I asked him that question was, you know, he didn't point to anything specific, but he said, I always tell my band that if you slip on a banana peel, do it again. And they'll think it's part of the show. But yes. I guess Tom, Tommy probably wasn't in favor of doing that again. Right. Well, or, you know, our PA going out because now we say, well, now we have to make it part of the show. Right. He's like, no, no, I don't want that. I don't want yeah. that. Yeah. I have a question that sort of goes with that a little bit. And this, this kind of, I would like for you to go back and talk about a rehearsal, like an Alice rehearsal. Uh, first, first, from you uh, making eyes with Alice at Mates to Mexico all the way yeah, all the way to Mexico, you didn't mention any rehearsals. No, there was rehearsals on stage at Cabo San Lucas. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And here's the here's another caveat to that that not a lot of people know: the bass player that was supposed to come down for the tour was the ever smiling, lovable Greg Smith. But oh, Greg yeah. Smith at yeah. that moment had got another offer. And I don't know if it was Rainbow or if it was, you know, one of the, you know, 2000 bands. He's well, yeah, he bass was already for. in Nugent and somebody <laughs> yeah, else. So, so I, yeah. I don't know which one of the many dozens of bands he was touring with at that point, but he couldn't do it. Ah. So that's when Todd Jensen flew in, saved the day, saved rock and roll and uh, toured with Todd Jensen for the next couple of years. So that's how I've had the the sort of um, fortunate pleasure of playing with such amazing musicians, yeah. um, starting off with that opening lineup of Cabo was Jimmy DeGrasso on drums, wow. Red Beach on guitar, holy, holy, uh, yeah. Paul Paul Taylor on guitar and keyboards, oh, yeah. and uh, Todd Jensen on bass, myself on guitar, and of course, Alice Cooper. So that was that first lineup. And ever since then, I've really had this distinct honor of playing with so many great musicians, Eric Dover being one of my favorites. You know, yeah. like I said, when people ask me, who's one of your favorite guitar players to riff off of? For a single guitar player, two guitar player type band, Although, I mean, I fucking love Pete Friesen as well. Pete Friesen's a great player. Um, but Eric Dover and myself just we really jived well together. Yeah. But this current lineup between Nita Strauss and Tommy Hendrickson, Amazing. we lock and we know what's going on. We're Undeni kind of intuitive of each other at this point. So Undeniable, of course. The, the, yeah. the band right now is on fire. It's amazing. Let's, let's talk about rehearsals for this current lineup and and i uh, rehearsals may not even remember <laughs> now, there is no rehearsals for this current out. lineup we're Chor lucky if we get one choreograph oh, okay. choreography okay. that's what i'm talking about when this lineup finally got together you had been with alice for a little while before this sort of like congregation uh came together is that right, right? so that is think, true you were in versions of the Alice Co this this new yeah. Alice Cooper band 
until this and say, you're like the, you're not the new guy anymore. I'm not the new guy, but when I came back to Alice, I was the new guy because you have to understand that there was a hiatus of when I moved to Sweden in okay, two, yeah. like ba basically I moved there in 2005, but my last shows with Alice were January 2006. I remember it well. It was Munich, Germany. Uh, last show that I played with Alice in 2006 was January tour. Um, we played with Deep Purple. Wow. And the last song that I got to play with on stage as an Alice Cooper band member was coming on stage uh, with Damon Johnson and Chuck Garrick um, and myself coming on stage with Deep Purple and playing Smoke on the Water. It doesn't get more rock and roll than that. So if that was going to be the swan song, that's going to be the swan song. Luckily enough for me, it wasn't. And I got called back in 2012. So in 2012, all of a sudden, you know, being six years you know, later, five and a half, six years later, I'm the new guy again. Oh, okay. So now I have, a, you know, now I'm kind of like, okay, I just want to be a, a role player. You know, like the way... I, it's so funny in the way I, I, you guys probably love the NFL as much as I do, or maybe you don't, but I'm a huge, I'm a, I'm a sports guy. I like NFL. And, and, and so Jerry Rice was a huge receiver for the San Francisco 49ers. One of the Great. biggest guys. He was, he was the guy, yeah. but he, when he came over to the Raiders and started playing for the Raiders, Tim Brown was the guy and Jerry Rice became sort of his support guy and sort of a role player. So I, when I came back, I'm kind of like, what can I do to make this band better? And I've been trying to do that ever since. And, you know, when I came in, Orianthi was the, you know, the big dog. Yeah. I was going to, I was going to ask you who was in the band when you came back after six years, it was, it was the same lineup that we have. Tommy, uh, Glenn Sobel on drums, Tommy okay. on guitar, okay. Chuck Garrick on bass, myself, but we had Orianthi, so you were the, the great Orianthi, yeah. And and so I'm come back as this role player, and then Orianthi and I again, kind of the same way that Slash and I played well off each other. Ori and I play well off each other. She's mm -hmm. very rock. She's very you know uh, very blues based. Love the way she plays. Has this cool vibe. She struts around stage. So that happens for one or two, maybe two and a half tours. But then she says, look, I can't do this tour. I've got something, I've got something cooked up with my solo career, but we've got fucking Motley Crue. We've got this, we got this tour of Motley Crue, their final tour. In steps in Nita Strauss, fucking chance of a lifetime, sees the opportunity, makes the most out of it, mm. and the rest is history, so, yeah. so to speak. Because Nita comes in, kicks ass, perfect band member, ultimate like sort of team player. Hey, what do you guys need? Let's what can I do? You yeah. know, three guitar players want me to play the, you know, you want me to play just the, the root note. And then until it's time for me to shred, fine. What, what, what do you need me to do? Oh, you right. need that harmony? I can pick up that harmony. Great. Okay, good. I got that. So like this three guitar player lineup that we have between Tommy and Nita and myself, I think we're intuitive of each other's playing at this point. And now it's to the point where we've toured long, almost together as long as the original band. Correct. Had 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 toured together as far as their their lineup and stuff. And again, that's another 
amazing guitar player that I've been able to be sort of the a play with is Michael Bruce because I got to tour with the original wow. band as well. Wow. So that was that was kind of a it's been one of those bucket list thrill moments. But if you think about it, this lineup is 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 strong. I mean, undeniable. It's solid. It's solid. I want to echo what Jason said earlier. I think I've seen the last five times you've been through Austin, Texas, the the last five consecutive tours. And every time I walk away, just completely blown out by how great the band is and how great Alice sounds and how the the show is just fantastic. Everybody needs to see that show at least once. And uh, it's gotten to that point, huh? It's got, it's almost, I, I think of it at this point where it's kind of like the Rocky Horror Picture Show. It's, it's almost, awesome. Yeah. It's Niagara Falls. It's the Grand see, Canyon. You got to yeah, see. It's you, like one of the seventh wonders of the world. Yeah. yeah. Well, even if you yeah. just come in there and, and, and look at it and go, eh, I saw it. <laughs> Walk away and go get, and go get it, yourself a beer during the drum solo. You, at least you saw, you know, you saw it and you experienced it. And I think when you do come to, to, the, to an Alice Cooper show, it is like you're not just watching the show. You're watching the hardcores who have seen it, you know, some are going on their centurion shows. Yeah. It's crazy when we meet fans that have been, like, this is my almost, I'm approaching my hundredth show. I'm like, Jesus. Yeah, you know, yeah. Then I think about how many shows I've played with them and I go, Oh, well, yeah. Yeah. Well, I look around and see people dressing kind of dapper, like 18th century, like, and they have the hat and everything. And they're like, those are the actually original fans, actually. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah they are. We, we've been around yeah. for that long. That's yeah. just their normal clothing. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. But, but I, I mean, you see, people dress up to go see Alice Cooper because and yeah. they become part of the show, as a matter uh, of fact. I wanted to, I, I still haven't gotten this to, to like spit this question out about, um, your 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 let me be clear your choreography rehearsals because okay. in every song in your show everyone has a place and if you're not in your place that means you fucked up and you have to rehearse it and get it right so when you came back and you were the new guy see now i have knowledge when you came back and you're the new guy is there a new um act that you have to a skit Per song that you have to learn that everybody else was already doing, or when Orianti split, did Nita have to come in and learn what was happening in Frankenstein, what was happening in this or that, and the guitar trade off, and the in the cane, and the follow Alice or be, play back up like you're afraid of Alice as he's coming towards you. You know, those things evolve. Yeah, those all those okay. things kind of evolve. Yeah, um, but some of the, I'll, I'll be honest with you, yeah. there is it's way more high school. Uh, play production than like um, you would think boy band rehearsal or Michael okay. Jackson, uh, you know, months of choreography. There's absolutely not one single choreography practice other than the interaction between Alice and Cheryl and their theatrics that they're going to okay, do yeah. together with certain songs like um, w when she's Nurse Rosetta or when she's the yeah. dead bride in, in um, what's the song that we do? Roses on White Lace. Yes. Yes. Or if she's, you know, so that most of that sort of choreography happens like between the two of them. And then if there's all we need to do is, is get out of the way. I was going to say when, when, whenever 
Alice has something that he could hurt you with. Yeah, That's a good right. rule of thumb. Yeah, if Alice has something in his hand that he could hurt you with, you know, whether it's a throwing <laughs> knife and he's really good at throwing knives, but guess what? Throwing knives sometimes bounce off balloons. Yeah, I've sure. seen it happen. Uh -oh. You know, if he hits it at the wrong angle, it's not going to pop the balloon. It's going to use the rubber force of the balloon to uh, projectile the knife in a different area. Or if we have a guest player, for instance, right. in Australia, we had Bob Geldof, the great Bob Geldof. Wow. I was, I, he was again, you know, just coming full circle back to La Quinta. Uh, it, it wasn't, he was staying at the same hotel as us, mm -hmm. you know, but it was a nicer hotel than La Quinta. Sure. Again, I hate to ruin your sponsor, but <laughs> this, at this point, I think it was like a Hilton or Sheraton or something like that. It was we'll pick up Hilton. A little step up. It was yeah, a little yeah. step up, but Bob Geldof was staying at the same hotel. So I'm having breakfast with his, uh, with his manager. He's out here doing some sort of, he's doing a public speaking event. I go, well, you know what? Would Bob like to come down to the show? I mean, cause we're, we're huge fans obviously. And, and uh, he calls me in my room as manager. Cause he says, Bob would like to come up and sing. Do you think you could arrange that? I go, hell yes, I can. So Ow. I go, does he know the words to school's out? Oh man, he knows, he knows it perfectly. He's been a lifelong fan. Of course he does. Right. Well, comes down to the show. You think Bob Geldof knows the words the school's out? I'm guessing no. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> he knows the chorus. I think well, we I, all I, do. I hope so. Yeah. yeah. But luckily we have a teleprompter. So, so, so the words are right and big there. So for, for our guest singer and, and he's singing it great, but then it comes time for the knives. When the balloons come out, apparently you're supposed to throw the knives backwards. Bob Geldof throws a knife to, to, to pop the balloon. He throws one of the knives because Alice gives him not the smartest, uh -oh. <laughs> uh, it, you know, move that Alice has ever made. He gives him a knife thinking that he's going to pop the balloons, you know, shiv a balloon, if you will, yeah. Yeah. or throw it backwards when the balloon is away from the audience. <laughs> Bob Geldof no. throws the knife. Oh, no. Towards the audience? Towards the audience. <laughs> oh, no. Hits the balloon, doesn't pop the balloon, does exactly what I told you earlier. But knife pops up into the air and goes into the crowd. Oh. No one's hurt. But Lucky. either, you know, there could have been a whole new live aid in, yeah. you know, yeah. only <laughs> to, to, to raise lawyer um, funds for Bob Geldof <laughs> if, if something bad would have happened. But yeah, that was, that was in Perth, Australia. So um, anybody in Perth, Australia that still has a head wound and don't know how they got it, Bob Geldof's your man. <laughs> wow. And, uh, but I, but nothing did. We would have heard something about that. We, we, we've gone through, uh, we've had to go through lawsuits. Like Glenn had to settle a lawsuit from throwing out a, a drumstick uh, and he oh, tossed out a drumstick. He's not like those guys that, no. you know, wing them. He yeah. like, he literally just tossed it. And you know, the, per I don't know what happened. I mean, I don't even know what the result of it is, but yeah. it did end up in some sort of litigation. Oh, no, it's I ridiculous. I do, I, I'm careful with throwing out guitar picks. Now I, I do it really. Yeah. I do it like an underhand throw because yeah. I see some guitar players out there winging it like, it's like it's like yeah. a Chinese star. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Can you say that in 2022? Can you say those words, Chinese star, anytime? A throwing I don't know. star. Yeah. Uh, throwing okay, star. it's a throwing star. Yeah. yeah. Throwing star. 
an, an Asian throwing star. Yeah. Because if I say Chinese star, I'm sure I'll get canceled in some way, one way or another. Someone will come back to a martial arts weapon. There you go. Yeah. I wanted, I wanted to ask about. I wanted to ask about your timing when you joined the Alice Cooper band because you join in time for uh, Brutal Planet and uh, Dragon Town, which were yes, kind of they, they were, those both those albums were a bit of a departure for Alice. They were a little more industrial metal kind of sounding, produced and, by Bob Marlette. Yeah, so so how, I know I know getting the gig is obviously great for you. But you're coming into a time when Alice is playing this more kind of industrial type metal, which is not necessarily what he's known for. It. So how does that jibe with you as a guitar player who's kind of from more of a hard rock, rock and roll kind of background coming into this environment? Well, when you first said you mentioned timing, I just thought you meant I had bad musical timing. No, I know 4-4 four, four timing. and It wasn't like this was like 3-4 or 6-8. No, this is definitely – in fact, in fact – the thing about uh, Brutal Planet, all you need to know if you ever want to learn every song on that album is just, you know, detune. I think we're a half step down and then you detune the, your six string down to a D and you got every single song on Brutal Planet. But um, there's the trick. But um, I had joined a couple years before. I joined in 96. So we had a couple tours of where Alice was doing the Rock and Roll Carnival. I, the first album I ever made was that that opening show that was my first gig with him, which was called Fistful of Alice. So there was a couple years there where I had a chance to, um, during that time, play with Slash, um, join and, and make the whole Ain't Life Grand album. So I'm playing a little bit heavier type of, of rock. It's still rock and roll bass, but it's a heavier type. And my hair is starting to dread out. I'm starting to do some things with my hair that while it's still on my head, might might as well try it, right? Mm -hmm. So why not get blonde dreadlocks? So I had blonde dreadlocks by the year 2000, and that's when Brutal Planet uh, comes out and uh, we become space cops. You know, we all, we all of a sudden go, uh, we were sponsored by Serious Clothing, uh, Magnus and Hooch over at Serious Clothing. They, they just sported us out with all this like sort of pleather and, you know, the stage set was really cool. We had a busted car on stage and uh, nice. uh, cranes and all this moving uh, tr truss lights and all this stuff. But it was really an industrial type of album, sort of apocalyptic type of album. And if you think about it in the history of Alice Cooper albums and his, his assistant, Brian Nelson, uh, rest in peace, God, uh, we love him. Brian Nelson had told me years before, he said, if you think about it, Alice makes albums in twos, you know, all the way from the early days, you'll see two albums that kind of resemble each other, you know? Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So if you got um, what would yeah be like two special good forces and flush the fashion you know those, those perfect yeah okay well, and what about raise your fist and yell and hey stupid um, yeah hey stupid see yeah. so yeah. so all of a sudden I was we're say in this stricter but yeah well constrictor and love it to death are those mm -hmm. didn't those come back to back or was it billion dollar babies billion dollar oh no constrictor's babies. a little bit later which yeah. is the album Maybe. with the snake on it yeah um, yes yeah yeah my first so, album so, super show. So then we have Brutal Planet and Dragon Town. Mm -hmm. Both have sort of an industrial vibe, right? right? So 
we realized that we're full in on that stage. Well, for me, it was great because I already had the blonde dreadlocks. We were all dressed up like space cops. We had the cool set, dark, really kind of, um, the cool thing about that tour, Brutal Planet, was that was the last time we remember any band of Alice's, I know Metallica has done it before. I know there's a few bands that are have that iconic quality, but to play half your album at a you know at a greatest hits sort of show, it was kind of un. It's not the norm, you yeah, know. what I'm saying a, it's, it's mostly fan, like, let's you, play the hits and get the fuck out. Right. You know, let's fan, play. Let's play. Want, yeah. Most people want to hear one or two songs off a new album, if that. You know, right. they so so at that time we were playing six sometimes seven songs off of Brutal Planet, which was kind of cool. You know, the, the hardcores were digging it. But then, of course, you know, as, as years go by, you, we start amassing a more of those, you know, which are the songs that people really want to hear, what, you know, those, those core six or seven songs that people have to hear. Yeah. But we have those two albums, uh, Brutal Planet and Dragon Town, and then we go in and make two more albums that have more of a garage type of sound right right so right. you have eyes of alice cooper and uh, dirty diamonds so if you think about that with alice and making albums in twos yeah it's kind of makes it oh that makes a little bit more sense so so yeah, joining yeah. the band at the time that he was kind of going into this industrial phase as a as a guitar player wasn't really a shock to your system because you had been taking sort of some steps in that direction anyway exactly we, yeah. we had a couple songs in in drop d w with slash um as well as you know, I'd always been a bit into detuning anyway. I loved it. And I, even in my band, uh, Dad's Porno Mag, we were a pop band, but we tuned down our guitars a whole step anyway because yeah. we thought it sounded heavier and it was easier oh, yeah. for me to sing. I'm not sure. I mean, how do you do it in the toys? Do you, do you, are you still A440 or are you half step down? Yeah, the standard tuning. You're a fucking balls. You're you're an old schooler, man. I love that. I love anybody that did, goes A four forty because you got that you got the pipes for it, and it sounds like you when you do it. I mean, whenever we do a TV show, and Alice, um, Alice goes, "Well, what what are we going to tune to?" We say, "Let's let's go A four forty for for this because when he when those old albums, if we're going to play, especially if we're going to play an old song from Alice Cooper, and you do it the same tuning as the album." then you sound exactly like Alice can yes. sound exactly like Alice. When yeah. we go on tour and we're doing, you know, doing three in a row, sometimes four in a row. Hey man, let's drop it down a half step. Yeah. I think, I think most bands do that for me. I love dropping it down a half or a whole step because then it makes my voice really able to do five or six club shows in a row, you know, yeah. sometimes nine club shows in a row, as we know, you have to do what you have to do when you play the clubs. And, um, you know, I'm talking so much anyway. And the reason why you're not able to ask any of these questions, Jason, is because usually when I'm a podcast host, I just shut up and listen, but I'm going to be the podcast guest. I'm going to yeah. do what all my guests do. And yeah, just by the way, <laughs> not to, not to pause or anything, but, but uh, this has been amazing because you, you're almost, we're, we're at an hour and 20 minutes right now. And I'm just loving the crap out of this. So yeah. thank you for hanging no, out with us It's always fun, man. You, you know what? When you, when you get together, sort of like a brotherhood of musicians that have 
you know, we've played the same venues. Mm -hmm. We've been through the same bullshit with, with companies and we've loved the same bands growing up. We have, I see your posters on the wall. I mean, it doesn't even have to be a band. You got a fucking Planet of the Apes poster, dude. I, I, oh, I saw shrine. all of them. Yes. Yeah, which shrine. is your, which is your favorite? Is your, my mind was beneath the Planet of the Apes, scared the shit out of me. That was my yeah. scariest one, you know? Yeah. So I love I them the, all. The, the entire idea of that is, uh, you know, about there being this alternate universe or a time warp and, and, you know, where, you know, these spacemen get caught in it and they land and they don't know where they are. And it's role reversal where the animals have taken over as the alpha and all this shit. It's just like, that's a story that I'm always going to like. It also is, a, it's a kind of a throw on politics, you know, and things and social standards and things like that. And the way- Did you have the play figures? The way people treat people, you know, it's kind of a, a why I like it. Uh, I did. I did, and I have some. You can't see them, but I have some to my. Here's uh, here we go. This sh little show and tell for you. This is not old. This is like '90s, but there's Doctor. Are you Stale. the forty-year-old virgin? You, <laughs> you have them still in their Stale. packaging. What's Doctor going on? Stale. Yeah, 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 yeah. Of course. <laughs> see, I, well, what am I going to do? Play with it? Do, do, yeah. yeah. No, yeah, you, play you with the, it. Get the, didn't they have a tree? It was. It wasn't a tree house. It was kind of like I think they had the the, the thing was. The, <laughs> no, it was the, like the a Planet of the Apes tree house. Kind of the tree I think house. I had that. It yeah. was like a treehouse or kind of a hut or something like that, and they had all that stuff. I mean, I yeah. had all that shit. I had G.I. Joe growing oh, yeah, up. yeah, me too. I had – did you have Big Jim? No, I, I had, the evil, had the evil Knievel. First openly gay play figure. Wow. Now, in <laughs> retrospect, that, wow. that, that, that yeah. at that point, people were like, no. He, he just yeah. has kung fu grip, and you can press his back, and he does this. Right. I remember that. <laughs> I had yeah. the Big Jim van. It was amazing. Wow. Yeah, I had the evil Knievel with the ripcord. Yeah, dude, yeah. Evil Knievel uh, electric toothbrush. Wow! Um, and and you had the Evil Knievel, the the one that goes like this, the the the, well, the motorcycle. I think Wind mine had the rip cord. Yeah. Oh yeah, the rip cord. Like, okay, it had a rip cord yeah. and it like had a little uh, sort of like generator. And you know, you yanked it and it would zip up, and you would press a button, and he would go shroom. Did you have um, the yeah, Marvel characters, Aquaman and uh, Superman, and and. Uh, Batman. They had a bunch of those as well. I don't I know mean, if they, I had the. We're talking seventies, so yeah, man. I, don't that's, know if I, had that. I mean, I, I'm I'm born in sixty five, so we're probably same. close. We're the same. Yeah, yeah. Right. Oh, we, I can tell because we both have our father's readers glasses on right yeah. now. Well, the, the, the Ray Bans. This is like the the Biden glasses. You know, that's, that's are my, they? That's my look. I just yeah. remember that. I mean, the aviators, you, you just can't go wrong with them. Dave's no. like, I don't need readers at I this do. point. Jason do? knows. I wear them all the time, except for when we do the podcast. Yeah. Oh, is it all image for you? I gotcha. Well, it's like, I, I really only need them to read. That's really the only thing I need them for. Uh, but I can't read anything without them. So otherwise, when I'm driving, when I'm talking to you right now, uh, when I'm walking around the house or whatever, I I don't need them. But anytime I need to read, so I'm I'm born in '67, so I'm I'm right there. You're right. At the, you're coming up. Hey, you're right. But there. you're not reading any questions for me. These are all just coming off the top of your head. I took some bullet. I have some bullet point notes right here, but most of it is I did. You know, I get some little uh, milestones and I put them in my brain, and so I have them. I have an outline in my head, and the rest I just riff on the conversation. 
Those bullet points must be in a big font. <laughs> well, so here's one of them. Here's one of them. And I, cause I didn't want to get off the Alice Cooper topic. Cause I do want to talk about some other things unrelated to Alice because you've done so much that I'm interested in. Uh, but I didn't want to walk away from the Alice topic without talking about, uh, uh, dirt, the Dirty Diamonds album, because on that record, you got a lot of songwriting credit on that record. And so I wanted to know what was the turning point or what was it that where where did you get the sense that Alice had confidence in you or was willing to let you or whatever? How did you get so many songwriting credits all over that record? Because I think during the eyes of Alice Cooper, we really had a band vibe going on and Alice felt comfortable with the band. I mean, the, the band has a, re a really good uh, dispersion of songs all across those two albums. And I felt that he was, Alice really took a chance uh, by letting us write the album and putting his foot down saying, no, this is going to be a band album where the band writes the songs with the eyes of Alice Cooper. So, it seemed as though the hardcore fans and a lot of the diehard fans really turned on to that album, Eyes of Alice Cooper. They liked the vibe that we had. They liked um, when we would come and play. It was bare bones. You know, that was when we were like, I think we toured as a, is just a, you know, two guitars, bass and drums. There was the first tours that we had not used a key, an extra keyboard player. And since that day, he hasn't had a keyboard player. As much as I, you know, I love having Teddy zigzag and playing in a band with Teddy. And I, I hope he comes back because he just, we just did a gig a couple months ago at an Alice Cooper uh, charity event where Teddy came and, and played. And you just, you know, those organ sounds, and those mm -hmm. piano sounds, there's so many songs that benefit, you know, public animal number nine, uh, you know, all those types of only women bleed, you know, mm -hmm. those piano parts are integral. Mm -hmm. Um, but we hadn't done that from eyes of Alice Cooper on. And now it's been guitar driven and Alice loves having guitar driven bands. And I'm, I'm so happy for it because it keeps me employed, keeps us yeah. on the road, keeps us working. But, um, well, with three I guitars, feel, you can sort of emulate some of the key, uh, exact key parts too with three guitars, because you don't, I don't know if everybody, let me just throw this raw meat on the table and see who takes it three guitar players playing the same guitar part doesn't happen in the Alice Cooper band because the way the songs are written, there's just crazy. There's usually three guitar parts, especially in the older material. There's like three guitar parts going on anyway. Yeah. Billion Dollar Babies uh, has three guitar parts. Schools Out has three guitar parts. You guys are not all playing the same thing all the time. So I, I've always wanted to just say, hey, look, there's three guitar players in that band, but look what they're doing. You know, uh, yeah. Leonard Skinner three guitars, but they also had the keys too. So they could literally do whatever they needed to do as a, do you feel like sometimes, this is kind of a loaded question too. Do you feel like sometimes you you and, and maybe somebody else in the band, I won't put it all on you, are like Alice's trusted musical director-ish, well, but, but I mean, without having that title? I, I think he trusts all of us as okay, musicians good. to be, yeah. to be those, to be that band. Um, we don't have like a set musical musician okay. or a musical director, but at yeah, the same okay. time, everybody knows, you know, what role to play. 
everybody knows and everybody listens to each other. I think there's good communication with this lineup. I you know, really in the do. Q and in the Q and A on the ship, I got, I was lucky enough to. I just felt uh, I felt it's just seeing you know just hanging out with Alice over tea, hearing him tell stories, and uh, he really really loves you guys as a band. Yeah, he's he's always given us. I think that's what makes us so loyal and so thankful to be in his band um you realize he doesn't have to love you 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 know he could play the card like they're just employees fuck them i'm alice cooper he's and not you know what that's what that's I not think him. a lot that's probably the situation in a lot of other bands but that's the reason why and i again i took this from a sports podcast and i just can translate it into a rock and roll sort of verbiage is that we always have to remember that we don't have to be in the Alice Cooper band. We get to be in the Alice Cooper mm. band. I heard an NFL player say that. He says, you don't have to be in the NFL. You get to be in the NFL. Yeah. So we get to play with Alice Cooper. We get to be part of that legacy. We get to every night uh, go on stage with a guy that we know is a household name. But he's always encouraging us when it's our moment to shine mm -hmm. to make a bigger deal out of it than it actually is. Like when he's like, when you go up there and solo, you know, I don't care if you're playing in front of 2000 people, it's gotta be 200,000 people. I don't care if it's 10,000 people, it's a hundred thousand people. You have to act like you're playing bigger because this is your moment. And he gives us that credit. He gives us that confidence. And we, in turn, I think, completely respect whose name is on the marquee. We yeah. never forget that because at the end of the day, you know, especially with all this fucking COVID crap that we've all been through mm -hmm. and everybody, you know, in the band had sort of a, an alternate or we had a plan in case some person, one person got sick. Could we, could we cover with two guitar players? Could we do this? Is there an alternate bass player that could come up? Is there a drummer that could come mm -hmm. up in case one person, just one person that if can't do the show show's done. Yeah. And there's, that's, that's our guy. And so luckily we've been really, really, um, adamant about, and, and we've been diligent about, uh, touring under the bubble and we've been able to make it work for two tours in a row. Um, I'm, you know, who knows if, if we, if it's always going to be this way, God hope it's not going to always be touring in a, under these types of uh, COVID bubbles protocols. But at the same time, we've been able to play every single show. Haven't had to cancel a single one. The only Maybe. time we had to cancel one show this last run was because we were out running the ice in Louisville. There was this like freak ice storm that was shut down the entire city uh, of Louisville, Kentucky. And unfortunately uh, the city shut down. So we, we got out of uh, Louisville right before the ice came and mm. apparently everything froze. Let, let, me, <laughs> let me, let me get back to, to the question about your songwriting credits on dirty diamonds, because I do want to give you props for that because uh, you. your name is all over that record and that's no small feat. And so again, I'm I'm just curious, what was the what was the communication or the vibe or the chemistry between you and Alice that resulted in your name ending up all over that album more so? I think we were in a good place. I think we were in a good place of 
he trusted me with the guitar riffs that I was bringing in. And anytime I would have something, even if it was for myself, like thinking, Hey, this song could be something. In fact, one of the songs that ended up on the album was going to be a, a solo song for my own band, but you know, the riff just kind of, it felt good. And like, you know what, why don't I see what happens if I give it to Alice? And then Alice, I played it for Alice. He's like, I like that. And then like, give him like 10 minutes or 15 minutes with a riff that he likes. And he'll come up with a catchphrase. He'll come up with a story. He'll come up with some sort of hook that makes it like really catchy. And then all of a sudden he'll sing on it and that catchy song becomes an Alice Cooper song. Yeah. So the minute he puts his voice on it, sure. that's his stamp. Yeah. That's his stamp of, of like, okay, now it's just become not just a song. It's an Alice Cooper song. Yeah. And that happened a couple times, you know, writing that album, we would be sitting literally on a couch and we recorded it. A lot of people say they make, you know, garage band or garage uh, type of records and we recorded that album in a house. The drums were set up in the living room. Um, the, the main studio was in, I think, the guest bedroom. And the songwriting room was in the living room. And so we'd be on that couch and he would play, um, he would play like a little chord on his, uh, he'd play a chord on his, his uh, acoustic guitar that we'd have. And we'd be jamming along with it. There'd be a little riff. And you go, huh. Maybe this song should be about a truck driver. He's not gay, but he likes to wear women's clothing. And he's misunderstood because he just loves the feeling of what it's like to be, you know, to, to be in a dress. But then, he, you know, he has to explain it, but, but he shouldn't have to explain it. This is going to be the ballad of, of, of Jesse Jane. And that's became this sort of like wow. I'm playing that one chord, coming up with that one riff. Then he comes up with this story, and then all of a sudden it becomes like one of these songs. I mean, I wouldn't call it a classic song, but it's it's definitely uh, an Alice Cooper. Oh uh, sure. yeah, it's got the twisted Alice story, you yeah, know. Of course, yeah. yes. So uh, I think, if I'm not mistaken, our friend Chad Cherry designed some of your stage clothes. Is that right? Oh yeah, love Chad. For for, I mean, I'm wearing the pants right now on this current tour. It's like I have so much of Chad's stuff, like in and out of my closet in the wardrobe case. It makes it way. It makes it way sometimes to to. Uh, Charity giveaways. Sometimes I'll have an old pair of pants. I actually had a pair of pants that I cut off and wore all around the uh, Monsters of Rock cruise because they were an old stage. Uh, they were an old pair of stage pants, but they were like they weren't fitting right. Like there was almost too much Chad Cherry on them. There was like so many patches that it was like hard to move on stage. So I cut the legs off, and now and and now they're my rock and roll shorts. So, nice. I mean, I, I love Chad and he's, yeah. he's done such great clothing uh, for me and the guys in the band um, over the years. And he, he's such a good singer himself and a yeah, front man himself. He's so, talent. Yeah. yeah. He's, he's one of us, man. I mean, yeah, I love him. We've had him, we've had him on the show. Before. Yeah. We've had him on the show and he's been over to my house for barbecue when he comes through Texas on tour and stuff like that. You know, it's um, funny. 
how I found Chad Cherry. I was like, just going to ask you, tell me. I was, I literally Googled cool rock and roll jeans. Wow. And, and I went through, and then you go through images and like, I scrolling through images like, Oh man, this pair looks really cool. So I find it. I find the email. I email the address, you know, I say, Hey man, I love these jeans. If it's possible, you know, maybe I could get a pair someday. He goes, Hey, this is Chad. We opened up for you last year on tour. <laughs> it was, we were, I'm in the Las Vegas, right? Yeah. It was, it was the, yeah. the Las Vegas, sorry. The Las, the, Vegas, the, yeah. the, mm-hmm. the Las Vegas. And we did a, we did a couple gigs with you in the Midwest, you know, cause he, at that point he wasn't living in California. He was living more up in the Illinois area. I yeah. think it was. Yeah. And, uh, and I go, Perfect. And, and then that's how our relationship started. And then we've been friends ever since. That's awesome. awesome. <laughs> I wanted to ask you about your podcast because you've been in the, you've been in sort of the radio game and the podcast game for a lot, lot longer than I realized. Um, well, but talk about, uh, I'm curious to know which one of your guests had the best stories. Shit. I mean, <laughs> there's so many, I mean, we're, we're over, what now um with, within the trenches yeah well we've done a lot i've done a lot over the years um i i actually started in 2005 the only thing i ever wanted to do to be honest with you when this whole podcast thing started because i i remember um you know the pod father you've probably heard of adam curry the pod father oh yeah. adam I curry adam is curry he, i didn't he, i haven't heard the pod he, father yeah, it's funny. He, he's he's basically known as the pod father um I remember back in the early 2000s, I read some article where he's talking about this thing called podcasting. I have GarageBand on my Apple computer. I've always been an Apple snob and, and I've had it since the early days. But and, and to be honest with you, my learning curve of Pro Tools and all that other kind of crap and all those other sound, I, 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 I'm stumped. But for some reason, GarageBand, I got. I can, I can get by with GarageBand. I started doing a podcast called Big Rock Show on in 2005. So I was right around that, that time of earliness, but I didn't know how to distribute it. I didn't really know what to do, but I, I liked, all I wanted to do was do like a rock and roll version of the daily show. Cause I was watching a lot of John Stewart at that time. Mm-hmm. So, um, ever since then I've, I've, I've just, just like in the same way, I've been trying to rewrite surrender by cheap trick for the last 40 years. I've, I've been <laughs> trying to going? like do- <laughs> impossible it's impossible mm-hmm. you will never write a better structural song i feel than cheap tricks surrender mm. unless you want to break in abba's sos because if you look at a structural structure of a song sos is one of the coolest songs ever and um, people might say oh it's abba well yeah, it's ABBA. They are rock and roll. I, I just don't know how else to explain it, but structurally, SOS and um, Surrender. And for some reason, I don't know why, but that old-fashioned love song by Three Dog Night. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. an old-fashioned love song. Yeah. is one of my favorite. And Blackwater by Doobie Brothers. Mm-hmm. Some of my favorite songs of all time. And I, I don't I don't know about you, but Blackwater was like, I mean, I've I've actually gotten to play that song with the guys in the Doobie Brothers on wow. stage. I've been I've been really lucky all through Alice writing those coattails of Alice to to do those types of experience, experience those types of things. But get but to close the book on the podcast, 
who are the favorite stories within the trenches that I do weekly now on my um, YouTube official channel. We've had so many cool guests that I can't begin to tell you who would be the best one. I, I, I feel like for some reason it wasn't even a musician. It was a comedian, Doug Stanhope, who's mm-hmm. like one of my all time favorite comedians. I, I, I reached out to him. He comes on, we start talking, you know, we just start talking. It turns into such a long podcast that he has to take a piss. So he brings the camera or whatever we're streaming on and and he goes out to his place and he, and he goes out to the side outside and has a piss while we're doing the podcast. (laughs) And then he comes back in and does it, you know, and, and we had to break that episode into two parts and stuff. It's not, I mean, what, what can you say? I mean, I've had such a spectrum of cool looking guests, but they're, but they're, they're cool sounding guests. I love their ideas. It's all based in music. A guy like Jordan Peterson, who's like huge on YouTube very, for philosophical reasons. Turns out he's a huge Alice Cooper. Welcome wow. to my nightmare fan. Mm-hmm. Wow. Guy like Eric Weinstein, who's like this, one of the biggest intellectuals on the planet, smartest, one of the smartest minds that I've ever, you know, listened to. Turns out he knows how to play really good blues guitar. Wow. So it's like, there's, it's, it's pretty, I mean. Making connections. And of course, we've had, we've had all the original guys on in the Alice Cooper band, all the original members. I mean, you know, obviously, obviously we couldn't get Glenn Buxton, but if I can contact someone in heaven or hell or wherever the hell Glenn is, (laughs) uh, I'd like to interview him. But uh, Yeah. yeah, we've, we've been able to get a lot of great guests on the podcast and hopefully we'll have more and more. And, yeah. and like, you know, at one point, Jason would love to have you come on and, and we'll do the same sort of thing that we're doing right now. Yeah. But I'll oh, be, but I'll be grilling you yeah. and talking less and Grill listening away. more. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, 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 and people know who know me well, they know that I can talk a long time. So. Oh, dude, I saw you on uh, the way you front a band. It's like it's what I said before we started the podcast is the way. I like people to front the band. It's no bullshit. You have some, I mean, it's probably some go-to lines, you know, that you've, that you've picked up over the years through the script. I, mean, I call it the script, you know, but it's, it's a, it's a good script because you, you pick and choose those lines when you need to use them. You said a couple things when you played on the, um, it was the boat on, on the, the boat pool, stage. The pool deck, yeah. The, the pool the, stage. Yeah. The, yeah. The daytime show. <laughs> my favorite show. thing, my my wife and I, our favorite thing, I think probably of the whole entire tour, was when you sent your bass player back to his room to change his pants because he was wearing board shorts, and you said, "I'm that guy." Sorry, but I'm that guy. Got to wear well, long pants. <laughs> well, I hope uh, bless bless his heart. Uh, Mike went back to the room and put pants on, and, and he. He, uh, you know, you, know to give is. him, let's get, I'm glad that you enjoyed that little funny, funny <laughs> our, moment. Yeah. Enjoyed it. It was our favorite part of the cruise, man. Yeah. My wife goes, my, wow. my, my wife goes, I love him because you know what? Oh. He's not that guy. You know, and, and you were, you were just so like, yeah. And I agree. You, you can't wear board shorts if you're playing the pool. It's too obvious. 
If you're playing yeah. the pool stage, well, you got to oh, try pants. a little bit. Uh, bless his heart, he did go. He did go back to the room and put pants on, and he actually was cool and and said, "You know what? You're you're right. I'm just I'm in vacation mode." And I said, "Well, you got to work a little bit, right?" You know, so, yeah, yeah. But that's that's funny. That that's uh, hilarious. I wasn't really supposed to lend that information to you. I don't think I was just. It had just fucking just happened. Just being honest, that's dude. What we that's what I like. For. Well, you're That's being like honest. About it. Like, yeah, you're not throwing stones. You, you're, you're being honest, saying that, that that be the greatest part of the cruise for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was much better than going to Johnny Rockets after our first show Ooh. at ten thirty because nothing else was open, and, and oh, so no. the only thing to eat was a bunch of Johnny Rockets. Uh, that was one of the worst decisions I think I made on the oh, entire no. cruise. I mean, that the, and the, no the, sunscreen. The restaurants oh. weren't open. N nothing uh no by the time we finished and by the time everybody was kind of like you know got together like hey that was weird that that happened at the beginning of that show but you yeah. know what oh. we'll, we'll prevail and so we walked and we we're like what's open nothing was open anymore yeah, so you're, johnny rockets your late, was it your late show by the time yeah. you had dried off so to speak you were yeah. you were kind well, of the, the other bad decision was no sunscreen on the day that we went to that private island that uh MORC owns. And it was like, mm. we, we, yeah, I, I looked like a rock lobster. I still do. I still think I still have like radiation. Yeah. You look a little red. Not, you don't look too bad. You don't look too bad. I, um, I had to, there's some pictures from that daytime show that, that we told that we were just talking about where I look like a lobster and yeah, uh, you don't look like a tanner to me. You don't look like someone that oh, goes I'm out and I'm tans much. No, I'm a, I'm, no. I'm freckle boy. I I am a salamander. If you got a magnifying glass and got up to my skin and just like looked at it through a magnifying glass, you would think you were looking at a lizard's, you know, like a salamander's, a white salamander's skin. You know, how when I have you on the podcast, we'll get into your salamander heritage. J Jason, <laughs> okay. He's come over to my house before and I meet him in the front yard and we're just, you know, shooting the breeze out on the sidewalk. And he goes, let's take three steps over this way so I can stand under the tree. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> yeah, I have to be under a rock or I'm going to not He's be a vampire. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Dave, Dave has more of a West Coast or an East Coast vibe. He, you know, like a guy that has like, you know, five o'clock shadow at like nine in the morning. <laughs> you know, okay. like. I'm a total native Texan, man. I don't. Are you? Yeah. You man, have a little, you have a little bit of an East Coast vibe. I, well, I could see okay. you being in Skid Row or okay. some band from. Yeah, I could see you being a member, a past member of Skid Row or somebody from the New Jersey, Jersey area. Okay, yeah, somewhere. Okay, here here it is. Uh, I'm a native Texan, but my parents, my dad's from Philadelphia and my mom's from Buffalo. I was wow. gonna say. I was gonna say Britney Fox is my second answer, so I'm you, close with Philadelphia. Okay. So. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I'll, I prefer Skid Row, but okay. All but, right. But now well, you. But now you live in Nashville. See, you you have that vibe, <laughs> like yeah, like uh, I'm from Jersey, but now I live in Nashville yeah, with everyone else from Jersey. <laughs> yeah. But, but still, Dave is uh, <laughs> Dave is the guy that in an open air situation in August in San Antonio, Texas, would be you know like at the rodeo or something, and the sun it's a hundred. 115 degrees he's the guy in the front row and he ain't going anywhere no sunscreen maybe a ball cap and Black he won't but he tans well you could tell he's got that olive skin he's tanning all right <laughs> he can handle well. it me See, i just turned into yeah you can't i can't do it 
All right. I do you a, have your audio? Is your is your podcast audio? Because if people are just listening to it audio, they're like going, oh, "We can't see this." So you have to go YouTube. see us on oh, video. It's, it's, it's video. YouTube. It's video. Yeah. We, Very good. Yeah. We edit in post, and we you know put our our intros and our outros with little zingers and stuff, and and yeah. then it's on YouTube. So there's gonna be no editing on this. Okay. There no, there's be. very minimal. There very, very, very minimal, minimal. Very minimal editing. So when you leave the room, we do an intro. It's like we make our our guests leave the room, and then we talk shit about them. So, yeah, perfect. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, so, you know, uh, perfect. I have a I have a confession to make. I probably do need my readers because here's my notes. <laughs> Well, see, I saw the giant see, font. Those they're, are they're huge. big they're, letters, man. Yeah, they're I, huge and they're in Sharpie. And that's and the biggest I think Chris Weiss has ever seen his name. Yeah. Well, so <laughs> this leads to my last. This is this is my final it's question. Teleprompter, right? It is a teleprompter. Yeah. And some of them, some of them are in green, and some of them are in blue, and so I can tell one question from the other. So color coded. Yeah. Uh, so here's here's my last question for Ryan. I have one more for Ryan, and it, and it's completely left field. And I had no idea uh, about this until I started doing some research. And yep. uh, Jason, I don't know if you know this either, but Ryan is credited as playing guitar on the Tal Bachman hit song "She's So High." Yeah, that's me. I did not know that song was everywhere in '91. What is what is Tal Bachman? Biggest song? No, just listen. If I just sing it to you, you'll know it, Jason. You'll probably go a little cringy. You'll probably go. Oh. Okay, we can edit it out if we, you know. Uh, no, she's sing so it. high, high, high above me. She's so lovely. I don't know what key yeah. that's in, but uh, yeah, yeah. It was Sorry. a huge. Oh, no, 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 no. Okay. Fucking, what is it? <laughs> it was a long time ago. <laughs> it's basically me just trying to drip, rip off a George Harrison riff. And mm -hmm. that was the riff that I came up with. So, um, well, yeah, obviously I didn't do the song justice. Is it um, bad that I, I just don't know it? it? Because no, you know not, it. No, you there's know no. At me you, you're just in it. denial, Jason. Uh, yeah. You're, at this point, you're, you're well, denial. Salamander you're, under the rock. <laughs> So, so when I when I was researching Ryan and that little bit of information came up and I was reading, you know, it says, you know, it's talking about what a big hit this was. And I thought I thought to myself, well, if it was such a big hit, I've surely I've heard it. So I pulled it up on YouTube and I went the minute I heard it, I went, oh, my God, that song was all over the radio in 98, 99. And then it was on a uh, Peloton TV commercial years later. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, just, I mean, just recently was on that Peloton commercial. I yeah. tried to, you know, here's the story about that. Um, I don't want to get too far into it because, I mean, Tal and I have, have, have patched things up. But when I left that band, it was to do the Brutal Planet tour. Yeah. It was right. It was, it was between Slash. It was right around the time of Slash and then doing the Brutal Planet tour. So it was a, a lot of things were happening for, for myself, but the opportunity to play with Tal, I will always look back on as being very thankful and, and grateful for having that opportunity. Cause not only was I exposed to, I'd never been in a hype band before. I'd never been, I've always been in the band. It's like, like my, uh, podcast in the trenches it's always been hey there's some record company guys coming down tonight you know let's let's do it 
the record companies guys show up? No, they didn't show up. You know, it's been so, or, or, or you know, it's always sending in demo tapes. Hey, this is going to happen. This is going to be great. And then you never hear back from mm-hmm. Tal Bachman was the exact opposite. We were like the flavor of the week. We were being courted by every single label. We got to go, to, we flew to, um, we flew to Hawaii, made a, you know, lived there for four, four months, making a record with Bob Rock. It was like, it was like legit. I mean, I don't even, can't even begin to think about what the, the record budget was and how much recoup it would be. That's why I actually, at one point I was just like, well, you know what, with that song, I won't take publishing. I'll take the I'll take the buyout that they're offering because how could this how could this song ever, uh, you know, recoup? How could this album ever recoup? Well, the album probably didn't recoup, but the song should have taken the publishing. Yeah. Should have taken the publishing. But you know what? You, you, those those are things that you you live and learn. And the and the funny thing about that band is if you think about it. Only when I'm not 100% sure is about the drummer, Lance. Great drummer, by the way. But if you think about it, I've been able to, uh, to sort of, again, ride those coattails and, and have a very cool experience with Alice Cooper and a bunch of other bands all throughout these years. But I'm, you know, mostly known for Alice Cooper, and I'm totally cool with that. What a name to be able to wear on your sleeve. Sure. Uh, Chris Weiss, the bass player has played in the cult. Yeah. You know, um, Ace Fraley. And, um, Oh God, please, please. He's going to kill me. If I, if I, if I mess his name up, um, the keyboard player in that band, someone please go on, uh, you guys actually can do some editing. (laughs) (laughs) We we will. It'll be be tight. No, no, but I'm just trying to find the keyboard. I'm I'm just, not Derek Sherinian, is it? No, no, no. I played with Derek as well, but no, no. Um, it's, as soon as you say it, it's going to come up. It's going to hit me over the head, and he's going to kill me for not. Who's he played with? Uh, remember, oh, dude, he's played. Uh, we can edit it out. As soon as you tell him his name, I'll tell you the band. Yeah, no, right. <laughs> so are you? Are you in the keyboard video? player? Huh? Are you in the? No, video? I'm not in the video. No, okay, no, but that was Chris already. Is, that's why um, I have. That's why I have Chris's name written in Sharpie uh, in 18 okay. point Sharpie, because I looked at the video and I thought. Well, either Ryan had his hair cut really short and had it kind of spiky Billy Idol style back then, or that's a different guitar player. <laughs> and they show Chris for a split second, and I'm like, that looks like well, Chris. Well, look who Wyatt. the keyboard player is. Tal Bachman keyboard player. Yeah, um, I'm looking it up right now. And I'm um, come on, man. I'm so bad at stuff like this because, I mean – I didn't mean to put you on the spot. I just no, 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 no. I wanted okay, I wanted yeah. people to know because that song was such a huge hit. But you have to know the keyboard players because because the the ironic the, the totally ironic thing is we all coming from huge. We play in huge rock bands. Yeah, he play. He's he's Steven Tyler's shadow in Aerosmith. Oh now. wow! Wow! So oh, this keyboard player you're talking about? Holy yes, shit. yes, yeah, and it, one of the best vocalists I've ever. Oh, oh, Buck Johnson. Jesus Christ. Okay, okay Buck Johnson. Now you edit it. I wouldn't have known that. <laughs> it's Buck Johnson. I, and and okay. you know what, Buck? Just so you know, there was no uh, there was no Googling for me. I, no, I The came. name finally came. Well, yeah. I looked Buck up Johnson. Tal, Tal Bachman's uh, Wikipedia, and Buck Johnson's name's not even on there. Oh, that, that's very 
that doesn't surprise me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, because uh, because, Ryan, Ryan's uncredited on, on the song. Um, nine, nine of the 11 songs on the album, I'm, I'm all over. I played guitar. I, you know, I'm in the studio with Bob Rock and Tal and wow. yeah. And well, there if, was, if anyone out there was listening to the radio in 1988, 99, you couldn't escape that it. song. Cause I, well, I, didn't, I saw it. I, I didn't, I don't know that I still, it's not coming to me. I'm sure this if dude, I went, if yeah. I wanted to go find the song and listen to it, but I do. Look, Ryan's going to give us an exclusive right here. Okay. Well, we have to edit it out cause we don't, we can't pay any royalties so we can't pay we can't pay the royalty we can't have to edit that out or so okay. anyway you, the, can, you can edit the, that out. buck johnson aerosmith wow. myself alice cooper chris wise the cult and a bunch of other you know great i saw bands chris with ace fraley with bob rock that's yeah. intense yeah, so my Bob six Rock degrees of separation to that is I wrote some songs with Randy Bachman. Oh, there you go. Yeah. That never came out. We didn't. I was going to say, it, it wasn't taking care of business or no. a, a baby. <laughs> no, no, it wasn't those. Yeah. I, I, See, I, I wrote alive, uh, I was alive then, but I wasn't in the sessions. So, I, Well, I mean, how many times do I get asked? So, so you're an Alice Cooper. Did you write Poison? I'm like, I wish. I wrote Ballad yeah. of Jesse Jane. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's pretty rad. Yeah. To be able to say you write songs with the any man, song. that yeah, is... Any song with Alice yeah, that's why. I, that's, that's why I wanted to spend some time on Dirty Diamonds, because I mean... I appreciate that. Uh, I mean, geez. Who out well, there you know what? One of my favorite it. songs off that album is Perfect. It's called Perfect, and um, it was a cool little riff. I, I wanted it to have a bit of a T-Rex type of vibe. And Alice came in and again, he nailed it right. You know, when I played the riff, he goes, huh, I hear T-Rex, Roxy, but you know what? I hear a little John Lennon too. And one of his favorite singers is John Lennon. So if you listen to that song, Perfect off of Dirty Diamonds, if you can close your eyes and just hear uh, Alice channeling a bit of John Lennon, hmm you'll really hear the the tones because he's really good at, at um, that type of voice, that 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 John Lennon-y, sometimes a little nasally, but, you know, throaty type of thing. He can nail that. And um, I think Alice, sometimes he doesn't get enough credit for being the crooner that he can be. Right. Because if uh, you listen to those, those ballads, you know, um, How You Gonna See Me Now, I Never song. Cry. I Never Cry. Um, Fucking only women bleed. So there's a bunch you know, of them. There, he, yeah. He's I, I, he's unsung as far as that style of writing goes. Well, it's because he became Alice Cooper, yeah, the darkness right. and stuff. But then, you know that that's part of his own doing because that's obviously sure. you know the evilness and all created that kind of it. stuff yeah. is, is well, he's created it, that whole aura. Isn't but, it from well, just just to go not to go discography crazy, but isn't it from the inside that he wrote with Bernie Taupin and yes and had had David Johnstone play on yes. Oh dude David Johnstone he's been on the podcast as well. One of my favorite oh, wow. oh my God. Yeah, loved loved <laughs> loved huge. having on I think super Jason's sweet guy. Gonna, I think Jason's and, gonna have a seizure. <laughs> on that uh, dude, on that same tour that we were talking about, that way, way back, going back to your sh- T-shirt when uh, Angry Anderson came on stage with us in Australia. A couple cities later, we're in New Zealand, and guess who's at the show? Oh, Mr. No. Davey Johnson got to come up on stage with us and jam, and and you know, I've 
really, really appreciate him. His guitar playing, one of my favorite uh, albums that he ever played on was an Elton John album called Rock of the Westies. One of my favorite I, One albums. of my favorites, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so lit, a, lot of, a lot of people know this already, but I have this tattoo that starts at the bottom of my neck and goes down to my junk. And it's from... Uh, I didn't know that. Ca- Captain Fantastic <laughs> and the Brown Dirt Cowboy. It's yeah. from the art is taken from that album cover. Wow, it's true. That's I am a giant. A I couple have a more Elton, words, and it's going all the way around the. I have an Elton. <laughs> I have an Elton John uh, tribute band that gets together and plays, and I I sing and play guitar all the way down the sack with a couple more words. I mean, that's yeah. No, that it stops. Hey, it stops. <laughs> the brown, right around the brown dirt. It starts and stops. No, it does. It's not a well. The album cover, the the album art is wrap around. I appreciate. It is the a joke. fold out. It, it, it is, is a, a wrap around. Yeah, it is yeah. a gatefold. But the artwork is not a gatefold. It doesn't go. It doesn't wrap around the Jason. Ooh, so. right around the taint. That would get a little bit. I mean, people always say, "Oh, the elbow is the most painful part." And like, I can think of worse. I yeah. can think of oh, one yeah. part. There is worse. There is worse. <laughs> the taint. Man. But um, wow, that's a, that's just cool that you've you've really kind of uh, st- struck gold with just being the guy in the trenches to just kind of throw the pun. Hey, yeah, I love I love the fact that um, I get to be. I actually am on stage right, so in a lot of ways, I am Alice Cooper's right-hand guy. Hey, yeah, yo. Right? <laughs> you know, but at the same time, when you're being his right-hand guy or his left-hand chick or who, however way you want to say it, sure. he gives us that spotlight every single night. And that's what I'm forever thankful for because, you know, he really does, even though we know that we're – we're the what do you call it, the higher guns? Yeah, we know ish. that yeah. because we because you know we get a paycheck that has his signature on it every week. But at the same time, we feel like band members when we're on stage with them, which is great. Yeah, yeah. I I want to just say that you guys aren't just part of the show. Well, thanks, You're, man. I appreciate he, that. Alice Cooper is your bandmate. And it yeah, shows. Like There's a reason we like kept this I band together that, for so yeah, long. I think. I think that the fans can see that. And, and you know, they, hopefully it, they'll see us uh, in the next couple months because we're heading out in just the next couple um, next couple weeks, next couple months. We'll be out with Buck Cherry, Buck and then Cherry. after that, yeah. yeah, yeah. Then after that, we're going to Europe to head out with the Cult. And actually, Ace Fraley's going to be on some of those shows. And um, I've seen a lot of, I've heard of a lot of uh, cool bands that we're getting to play with this year. Um, and hopefully, all things work out. But uh, Michael Monroe Band is another one of those bands Ooh. that we're going to get to play with later what on a in the show year. That's so. going to be wow. Yeah, Love dude, Michael that. Monroe brings it every single night. But then oh. again, so does Alice. So it's it's oh, it's, yeah. it's 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 packed. It's packed yeah. with entertainment. Well, come on well, out. Uh, Michael Monroe could come out with the saxophone and the harmonica and do a little. Get down with Alice. Every yeah, single night he could. Well, I mean, awesome. he has. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I, the best is having Michael Monroe show up at uh, Soundcheck because whenever because Alice doesn't do Soundcheck, and right. we're always like, "Well, we need a we need a singer to sing some of these songs." He's, "I'll do it," and and, yeah. and he'll come up and he'll just he'll play like you know under my wheels and he'll just sing it. But the only problem is he'll sing it loud. He sings so loud. Yeah, he's not. He's not. He's not like he's. He's not Zach Wild loud, 
because that guy doesn't even need a PA, but right. he's loud enough. I don't know. Are you a loud singer, Jason, or do you feel that you're- uh, over the over the years? I, I feel like I used to be, and then over the years, I've sort of calmed down my my throw because I can I can sing longer if I'm re- more relaxed. If but you I, can still get that growl being with yeah. a soft volume. Yes, good for you. You've you've figured you've figured out the. The Matrix or whatever. Yeah, because, it's I mean, like, that's a, the hardest like a fry thing. vocal. It's a rattle that you're doing as opposed to... Like, David Lee Roth is not not really a loud singer when you think about it. But he can yeah. rattle. He's got that, that kind of rumbling three voices at one time, kind of like creaky door sound, that fry vocal thing. And a lot of people think that that's loud screaming or something, and it's not. So... Well, I, I love the way that. Michael Monroe sings. I said I love the way. Oh my god! You know, I love yeah. the way you sing. Um, it's, it's something about when you get my ultimate singer. And you know, I've said this before. Although I I do play in, in in a band with a really great singer. I love Alice's voice, but my ultimate voice for me is Robin Zander. Oh my god! That he has he well, has, he has like five or six voices. Robin does exactly. Yeah, yeah. And he can change his voice on a dime and it'll be one song and he's he's like creaky door and then like he's crooning and then he's like got I don't this know how he does choir it too. voice and all in one fucking song. So he's he, the he's the master of everything that I've always tried to do. Um and that is like sing different styles on a dime. You know, a good singer can sing anything. Blues, country, rock, pop whatever a good singer can sing anything so to be well, i'm a guitarist to- that sings <laughs> i'm a guitarist that sings by default and you know what it works for me but I, I i i'm always looking for any of those types of tips of how to you know how can you do seven or eight club shows in a row and still have a voice and not be freaking out because you know after the fifth or sixth show you're you, sometimes you get into your own head sure. a little too much you know mm-hmm. it's like I can't talk this. I can't talk for the next 24 hours. It's like, yeah. wait a second, man. I'm sure you can. Yeah. Robin it's Zander smokes a cigarette. And, yeah. you know, I, I, I remember <laughs> Robin Zander doing like, you know, I don't, I don't think he drinks so much anymore, but, you know, I remember him doing a little shot and, 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 and puffing on a cigarette. And then Eric Dover, for instance, perfect example of a guy that can smoke a cigarette, do a shot of whiskey, and then just go out and sing like an angel for three hours. Yeah. Like, How are you doing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't well, know. Always really goes know. back to it's five o'clock somewhere, and yeah, uh, yeah right. Trump, yeah. Trump trumping um, uh, ain't life <laughs> grand. <laughs> oh, man, I'm never gonna live that down. Never, Dave. But you know what? It's okay. You get to listen to it with new ears now. Now yeah. you know the story behind what we talked about three hours ago when we started this podcast. Right, exactly. <laughs> and that's one of the reasons we love having the show. Ryan, thank you so much for joining us today, yeah, man. It was thanks, guys. It's it been a pleasure. Amazing. Amazing to pick your brain. Uh, what a what a great career you've had, and uh, hopefully uh, we'll see you out on tour. You know, with Buck Cherry opening yep. for you, or whenever that tour comes. Hopefully, our our paths cross sometime in in twenty twenty two. I know we've played uh, Texas already once this yeah. year, um, but oh, you- hopefully we'll be able to come back and. Um, and we'll be able to do it again and um, keep doing it for as long as Alice wants to, you know, yeah, as, as, yeah. that's what we said as a band is as, as long as Alice keeps on wanting to tour, we keep wanting to be in his band and we keep wanting to play and let's ride this thing out into the sunset. Love Why it. wouldn't you? Yeah. Well done. Well done.
Thanks, man. All right, man. Well, that was Ryan Roxy on the Talk Louder podcast. On behalf of myself, Metal Dave, my co-host, Jason McMaster, the great Ryan Roxy joining us today. Thank you all for listening to another episode of the Talk Louder podcast. Cheers. 